what I realized was that what I think is the small stuff Sometimes is not the same thing that my partner yeah. thinks is the small yeah. stuff. That's communication. Right? So to Kara, me leaving the dishes out is not the small stuff. To me, it's not a big deal. And what I recognize is having, having to be very aware of what are the small stuff to her and what are the small stuff to me and being clear on them. Because what I recognize is that, you know, Kara's a chef. And when I understood that her kitchen was the way that she created and it was like her sacred space, I recognized that leaving things out was like somebody coming into my meditation room and, and throwing dirt sure. on the floor. Mm-hmm. And so to me, I was like, well, what's the big deal? It's just a few plates. It's just don't sweat the small stuff. Mm-hmm. But it actually wasn't small. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul welcomes Jason Picard and two special guests, Chase Rainey and Mimi Lindquist. Jason became a million-dollar portfolio manager and partner to hedge fund legend Paul Tudor Jones at Tudor Investment. By the age of 27, he was recognized as one of the top 30 traders under 30 years old in the world. Yet his health was on a decline and he was 330 pounds and suffered from a mental and physical health crisis. On a quest to become a master of both his inner and outer worlds, he decided to travel the world, spending thousands of dollars and studying for thousands of hours, learning directly from the greatest masters of a wide variety of healing arts, martial arts, holistic nutrition and movement, cutting-edge psychology, and wisdom traditions of the East and West, ancient, indigenous, and contemporary. He is now the founder of the Abundance Archetype Method, where he teaches the success secrets of the titans of Wall Street and the great masters of the heart and soul, which made him more successful in all areas of his life, and where he ultimately learned that true abundance was having both wealth and well-being. Chase and Mimi met at 15 years of age and were married in their early 20s, but grew apart as they negotiated careers, life and marriage. They separated and divorced a few years later, thinking they would never see each other again. After three years of intense self-development, holistic health integration, and personal epiphanies, their paths crossed, and it became clear that they were meant to be together. They now have a fulfilling and beautiful life and are the hosts of The Medicine Podcast, as well as the creators of Mushy Love Latte and Immune Intel AHCC. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. A big thank you to our premier sponsors, Bioptimizers, Organifi, and Paleo Valley, our podcast sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures, and our preferred product sponsor, Peak Life. Their support is essential in producing this podcast, and we hope you will show your support by visiting them online and trying all the amazing products they produce. Please check the show notes for links and details. Today, Paul, Jason, Chase, and Mimi are talking about abundance in relationships. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D. This is Paul Check. Today, we are going to talk about abundance in relationships. My soul brother Jason is back for our dream triangle of a third podcast, and we have two special guests who you may be familiar with. I hope you are, because they're the hosts of the Medicine Podcast, and if you don't know about it, you are behind. (laughs) So catch up, because they have great podcasts, and that's Chase, Ramey, and Mimi Lindquist, who we, Jason and I, both love very much. Welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you for having us. Absolute honor to yeah. be here. We brought you in kind of as not only special guests, but because you guys are part of Jason's Abundance Archetype program, and our last podcast together was about his new program, which is really beautiful, and you guys know. So part of our dialogue today is to talk about relationships, abundance and relationships, and since you guys are in a relationship and you've been through some transitions in your relationship over the years, therefore we wanted to try to bring an opportunity to talk about some of the real challenges in relationships but instead of it just being me and Jason, we thought it would be fun to have a couple that also is not only in the abundance archetype and has the experience of what Jason's teaching and offering, but the kind of challenges that we all face in relationship. And also to get Mimi in here because we needed a female's opinion and perspective because as much as we think we understand women... We're still learning. We don't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. We really don't. You guys are just forever students, really. Yeah, so yeah we are. That's and that's good. why we like to take lessons. I think that's a really interesting concept, though, is to know that when you're looking as a man, when you're looking at a female, mm -hmm. to have the perspective of, I really don't know. I really, uh, it's, mm. I have a curiosity that yeah. keeps deepening of like, I don't really understand this, but I want to learn more. You know, one of the key things I've learned in relationships, look, I'm 62 as of yesterday, so thank you for- Happy birthday. Happy birthday. Thank you for the happy birthday, all of you. We had a beautiful time. We had a great time. And um, see, in my 62 years, I was married to my first wife for 17 years. Uh, Penny and I have been together 28 years, and Angie has been with Penny and I. I think we're on our 11th year now. So I have 17 plus 28 plus 11 years of intimate relationship experience, committed relationship experiences, not to mention the other ones, which were all great experiences and lessons. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I'm coming at this from um, having been in the trenches for a while, you know, and having two wives certainly amplifies the um, need for awareness and understanding. But the point I'm driving at is one of the things... I've learned because in my work as a therapist, it's really rare that someone comes to me with any kind of problem that I don't track back to some kind of stress in relationship. In fact, there's never been a single person in 40 years as of January of being a therapist and a life coach that there wasn't a relationship problem involved in the problem because the first relationship, as you know, is your relationship with yourself, which we're going to talk about. So there is no such thing as a problem in life that's not a relationship problem. And since the topic is abundance in relationships, we have to understand that if you don't know how to navigate relationships, you're going to see that mirrored back to you in some derivation of whatever we deem abundance to be, which we'll get into as well. The, the point, though, that I'm driving at is one of the things I learned probably the hard way, and that a lot of people learn the hard way, is whenever you assume you know your partner or your business partner or your friend, then you open the door to lots of trouble. Because when you think you know somebody, you expect them to be that person every time they show up. But it only takes five grams of mushrooms to change <laughs> somebody so yeah. much 
that you are going, who in the hell is this person? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yesterday yeah. I was sleeping with them and they were very different. And also when we think we know somebody, we have these expectations and we project them onto them and we expect them to fit into that mold that we create. But there's so many facets to all of us. And oftentimes we don't even know ourselves until we get into a situation. Like I can tell you as a guy that's gone through elite soldier training, that as the training gets more intense, you find out about things about guys that you may have been in training with for months or even years. And all of a sudden, there's no food to eat or there's a lot more pain going around than we expected. And you see things coming out of people that you did, had no idea that you would have bet the house wouldn't... that. You, you know, you thought this guy was a badass because he's a good boxer and he can lift lots of weights in the gym, but he gets his ass chewed out in front of everybody by, you know, the lead sergeant or the company commander and you watch this guy break out into tears and you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> a perfect example of that is, is 2020 and 2021, yeah, right. seeing, yeah. seeing people relate in ways that you never imagined, and then the stress of what was going on with yep. the pandemic Perfect example. really changed the way people, you, you really saw the truth of how they handle yeah. difficult situations. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It reminds me of something you say all the time about belief systems and, and in the context of relationship. When you think that you know your partner, you are slipping into becoming mentally lazy which is what mm -hmm. you say about belief systems mm -hmm. it's like belief systems keep people mentally lazy mm -hmm. and i think that that translates into relationship perfectly yeah i mean there's things that i know about angie and penny um because they have proven to me through the test of trial and tribulation so i'll give you an example of something i trust that I can know about them. They're reliable, right? So that that doesn't mean that I wouldn't leave the door open for a surprise. But I know that if the shit hits the fan, they're not going to turn and run and give up or whatever, right? So that's really more of a character quality. A, val a value. A value, yeah. A, yeah. A, a virtue even. Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of get a sense, you know, a diamond is a diamond. So, and if it's got eight facets on it, it's got eight facets on it. But if we assume that it's going to behave exactly the same way when we shine a laser light through every one of those facets, we might go, oh my God, look at that one, causes it to turn into blue light. But this one over here produces green light. Yet it's, you look at it and it's clear. You say, how does that happen? The diamond is a really interesting metaphor for relationships because mm -hmm. you know to get a diamond you have to put a lot of heat and pressure yeah. to oh, yeah. a rock and it's is this gonna are you gonna crack or yeah. are you gonna get some beautiful multifaceted yes you know precious gem and to, you know to really look at all facets of a person be willing to turn it over and explore all the different faces you know one time I asked you what what do you what does the word relationship mean to you and you said re Elation. Relationship. Relationship. So this idea of not of being re-elated to every time you see your partner giving them the opportunity to be somebody different in that moment. Mm -hmm. And to, to not expect that they're the same person they were yesterday. And Especially if you had a hard day yesterday. Sure. 
right? Because then you expect they're going to be the same pain in the ass today, which, you know, the problem with that is that those kind of projections shape the energy in the environment and you can actually make that negative dream come true just as quickly as you can make, well, we had a hard day yesterday, but today's a new day. Let's let's give it a go. And that that gets back to Mimi's belief because the belief is coming from the word believe and a, a leave is like a leave of absence, a permission mm-hmm. to be absent. Yeah. And so when you believe that somebody's going to be the same way they were yesterday, you're you're literally leaving the or having a furlough <laughs> of the relationship or the truth of the moment, yes. the opportunity for something to be different. One of the things that I know from a long relationship with working with beliefs is that the word belief can be translated into be live. Yeah. Mm. Because whatever you believe becomes live in your life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. The, these are all the reasons that we wanted to talk about relationships. But I, uh, the point I was trying to make that we all gone through in a sort of a roundabout way is that one of the most dangerous things you can do is assume that you know somebody. I still learn things about Penny. I'm 28 years. And I mean, 28 close years. And when you run a business with your partner, you go to a whole new level of mm-hmm. <laughs> relationship oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. exploration. I mean, yeah. most people get up, hi, honey, have breakfast. Goodbye. I'll see you tonight. Kissy, kissy. Come back. Well, that's a third of most people's lives that you're not. Then you sleep for eight hours. That's two thirds yeah. of your life. But when you work with your partner, now you're 16 hours mm-hmm. of the day. And so the sort of the developmental curve is accelerated, right? Yeah, and a lot skill. of people don't run businesses well with partners and they end up crashing. Yeah, I mean, you're wearing masculine hats, your business partners essentially. And if you're in the same domain, especially if you're in the same house like we are, taking your masculine, masculine hat off to spark polarity such that you can have intimacy, that you can have a sex life becomes a very challenging skill. It, it, it is quite literally um, one of the, the secrets to the sauce, if you will, is being able to be agile in the roles that you can play, being able to take off those mm-hmm. those various hats such that you can spark polarity. Especially, yeah. especially for the woman because yeah. I'm sitting in masculine mode most of my day. There's some intuitive nature to what I do and creation process, but, but most of the day I'm sitting with my masculine alpha hat on. And so then, you know, that, that transition and the awareness of a transition becomes ever more important, especially for, it's important for both, but especially for the feminine to be able to to understand that and and to be able to make that shift so that you can have that polarity. It's quite interesting because we have an unprecedented time of people actually working from home. Yeah. Yeah. And so even if you don't work with your partner yeah. directly in the same business, you you might be many of us might be working in the same spaces. So yes. we really all need to learn how to navigate yeah, that because it's true. we're dealing with the same things, even if we're not in a direct corporation with, yeah. with, our, with well, our intimate partner. And add being parents to that. Yeah, the, you, your business kids. partners in, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And and I, I've seen people go years, if not decades, without ever shifting out of that business partner relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they can't have a sex life, but it might be very transactional. <laughs> um, and, and and so shifting into that dynamics that such that you can create the spark from polarity becomes a a, a very very important skill set. Yeah, no kids kids throws another thing in with all the stuff we've all been through in the last three years. But that's 
one of the reasons it took us five years to find our home because we wanted to make sure that we had a second house for business so that we could walk out the door and go home and have a different life and not carry the business into the house because those things are, you know, those kind of stresses, they, they resonate in the atmosphere, you know, they condition a space. So if you're having a stressful day in a business type relationship in your house and you can't purge that energy easily, but when we walk out the door of the house, we got 60 steps to the other house and you, you know, you're going home. You're you're leaving work to go home, and you're going to live at home and have your home life. And I think, for me, I know I've had many patients over the years that have had relationship problems causing things like adrenal burnout and skin problems and digestive trouble and eliminative trouble and everything else you can imagine, back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, any kind of pain you can imagine can come from a relationship problem. But one of the things I've had to have them do is take a room in your house and devote that as your office so that you have a door that is a threshold. And when you cross the door, you're going to work. But when you come out, you're coming home. If you leave the business out in the open, in the home space, then there is no threshold. There's no way to cross over. And so you don't have that symbolic representation of I'm taking my work persona off and stepping into my personal home life and so it's very gets cloudy gets very muddy it's a real muddy type situation Mm -hmm. it's also really important from a flow perspective Mm -hmm. which is a lot of what we talk about in the abundance archetype but this idea that you know creating these 90 minute to two hour really highly focused windows if you're trying to do five things at once you're not doing anything really well so going into a space and telling your family, hey, look, I'm going to go do this for two hours and I'm going to be dialed in. And then that's going to give me time and, and more attention to go and be present with you to do something else. Yeah. You know, people that are trying to do five things at once re- really don't have the time to to drop in yeah. and get that kind of accelerated performance and into that flow state that's available when you do isolate yourself. In our In our relationship, when we were married, we had no boundaries as it pertained to where work was present in the home and where it wasn't. And for an example, I, I traveled, I would I would fly on an airplane every Monday and Friday when I would come back home. There was no process, no ritual for stepping through a threshold to step back into my husband hat. And the uber masculine version of myself that was present in my work life was still present in the home space. And I was talking to my wife like I was giving her a to-do list like I would one of my, my team members at work. And vice versa, often at times, I would be in work mode and, you know, Mimi would approach me in a maybe a romantic way. And even though, of course, I want that, of course, I want my wife, you know, approaching me in a way that would be romantic. But if I'm in uber work mode, it might feel prickly. And so my response yeah. might have been a trigger. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a very, very hard transition because males in particular are very... Uh, focused, their arrows, the arrow is flying and it's going in one direction. But women have an ability to be in multiple locations and and have multiple feelings. You know, they're parallel processors. Uh, You know, women have 30% more 
commissarial fibers connecting the left and right brain hemisphere. So you, it's hard for us to even imagine. Like, I mean, if 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 Mimi put her brain in our heads, <laughs> I don't know. It'd be a pretty interesting experience. But just imagine if you call your left brain a computer and your right brain a computer, and your right brain is looking at the big picture and how everything fits together. Your left brain's looking at how do I study this atom or make this sentence or focus on paying this bill or whatever. And all of a sudden, you've got 30% more fibers going from the brain that says, let me show you how this all fits together. To the other one over here, and it's going. You know, the left brain's going. Wait a minute, I'm busy writing the sentence, and the right brain's going. Oh yeah, but you you're you're making the sentence tell a story that's not true, <laughs> you know. And so we're very good at ignoring either one of those hemispheres because we don't have so much traffic to deal with. But somehow they manage to write a sentence that's potentially true while dealing with the big picture that might contradict what we're trying to write down with our left brain. And so the point I'm making is for, I know as a man, I'm a very focused type guy. And so when someone approaches me, even affectionately, like my children will break through the door and daddy, daddy, we want gummy bears. We want some gum. And I'm like, I'll be, I'll be right there. I just got to finish the sentence or whatever I'm doing. And they, they don't get it, right? They're like climbing on the keyboard and grabbing the mouse and, Daddy, daddy, hurry up. Come on. We're, we're busy. I'm like, yeah, so am I. But the, the point is, is to me, that's quite stressful. But uh, they could walk into Angie or Penny's office, do the same thing, and they would just stop right in the middle of it and go, okay, yeah, here you go. Okay, now get out of my office. Here's your candy. Go away. And go right back, right where they left off. And I would have to go back and think for 20 minutes, now, <laughs> right. what the hell was I trying to say <laughs> yeah, here? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So the point is, it can be a lot more stressful for people that have more of a focus orientation and need that narrow focus, whether they're male or female, because there's a lot of women that have that mindset as well. You know, that is really a big point because like one of the biggest determining things of being successful in yourself or in relationships is, is really knowing that is how do you work best? Yeah. What kind of agreements and arrangements and, and environment do you need? To perform yeah. at your best, to relate at your best, what do you need from your partner and your family? And I think a lot of people don't really know that for themselves no. or their relationships. They don't define it. Not until they're in a relationship counselor's office yeah. because they've had some big fights. Yeah, or, or they're, they're bitching each other out for socks on the ground. It has nothing to do with socks on the ground. It actually has to do with the fact that clear boundaries were never communicated or determined. And so now the only time that that authentic communication is taking place is when it's become so charged that you're doing nothing but yelling it at the other person. Yeah. Now, fortunately, but unfortunately, we're jumping ahead because I have all these issues laid out. But so we've kind of had the foreplay. Now let's get a little deeper into this thing. What is a relationship? Well, I just happened to look up the word because I'm just a lover of etymology and words. And interestingly, relationship comes from the word to relate. And to relate comes from relatio, which is interesting because it's like, sounds like relig religio. religio. Yeah, to, to, link to link back. back. But relationship is to carry back. 
Ah. And mm. so the relatio is to carry back. So like to carry something home to eat. Yeah, but it's almost like in these relationships, what, what we're experiencing is, is like almost like the mirror. It's like to carry it back to ourself, to, yeah. mm. to learn and to find out more about ourselves. Yeah, and a mirror is a powerful relationship. Yeah. But what people don't realize is the whole world is a mirror. That's a big topic, but it is. Yeah. When I think of relationship, the first thing that comes to mind is an opportunity, a, a perpetual opportunity for giving and receiving. Exactly. Both people at the same time, all the time. Yeah. And what you're giving your partner, you're ultimately going to receive back in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. So it's just a perpetual giving and receiving. Yeah. I mean, we, we are in relationship with everything. That is how we find meaning. That's how we find definition with everything in the universe. And a, a human relationship or even a, a romantic relationship distilled down to that is the, the ultimate uh, agreement mm -hmm. to learn about oneself through the mirror of the other and experience love at a, at a deeper scale through some level of, of commitment and agreement to that individual. I have some notes here, uh, and one of the first, the first note on what is a relationship is love. <clears throat> Ultimately, love is relationship. There can't be love without relationship. And if you think of all the things you love, the closest you can get to say you love something without loving something is to say I love myself. But when people, when I, what I have my students do is say the words I love myself, and they do, and I say, point to yourself, and they point to their body. I say, okay, now I want you to ask, answer this question. Who is the I that's loving the body you just pointed to? And that usually makes <laughs> thing, yeah. right? So what you see is even when you're loving yourself, the part of you that's the witness of it all, the I, mysteriously happens to be God, the subject, God is pure subject, and dreams the object into existence. So the, the act of love requires an I, a lover and a beloved, and I thou. So the act of relationship is the I in relationship to something else, a person, place, or a thing, right? So you cannot have a relationship without love, and love is the binding force that holds everything together in the whole universe, and that's what God does. God loves, that's the verb of God. So whenever you're in relationship, you're godding, you're verbing love. That is a really interesting point because one of the things that yoga does really well is it shows us that all of these different kinds of relationships, friendships, intimate partner, parent-child, even the love of a, pet, of a pet or a loving service, they're all really surrogates for having that relationship with the divine in different forms mm -hmm. exactly and and that is i think a really important part that people don't recognize is that when you're in an intimate partner relationship there is love of the divine feminine and the divine masculine when you're when you're having a love of a child it's the way that you can feel loved by the divine in the form of a parent-child relationship or vice versa yeah all of these different ways and flavors are all really surrogates for something transcendent even deeper than the relationship itself yes and 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 when you look at the i i love myself that's the subject you 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 know it's very hard to define the i how do you do that right you can't really so when you look at what is the subject within me the subject 
see, when I'm in relationship to the three of you having this conversation right now, whenever you're talking, I, as the subject, have got to start receiving. I can't, other or I, I, there's no communication. I can't, like, if I'm dialoguing in my head, I'm not really receiving you. So interestingly, the I that is the receiving end is the feminine. That's the divine feminine. But whenever you speak to the other, that's the divine masculine. So you see this intimate relationship, which the feminine in Tantra is Shakti. She is the womb, the energy of the relationship. And Shiva is that which is created in the relationship. So paradoxically, we have these two qualities of God inside of ourselves, even when we're relating to ourselves, because if you're thinking your own thoughts, interestingly, you're listening to your own thoughts. I need to, I got to remember to do this tonight. You're talking to yourself, but you're listening to yourself. And isn't it interesting that people have a hard time listening to themselves, and if they have a hard time listening to themselves, they can't be good listeners for other people. So you see that Love is the flow of energy and information through empathic and compassionate connection to self or other. So empathic to feel, compassionate to understand. Love is the ability to feel and understand self or other. So there you see that there's a relationship there. And the other thing is that mind depends on relationship. Mind is the flow of energy and information between two sentient points of consciousness. So if if you were just the wall, I, I wouldn't really be able to have too much of a uh, flow of energy and information because the, the wall really just is, it's isness. It's hard to get information about, you know, how to solve a problem from the wall. You could if you were, you know, a really good mystic. But Joseph Riel. Joseph Riel, yeah. <laughs> Because um, God's the wall too. He walks right through it. <laughs> yeah, but the the point I'm driving at is that all relationships are minded. Mind is an embodied and relational process that regulates the flow of energy and information, but embodied and relational. So you see, there's a relationship there. So when we are talking to each other, we are creating a mind. You understand what I'm saying? So. Another interesting paradox of that is the same criteria that make love make mind. Because to love yourself, you're in a relationship with yourself and you're minding yourself. Otherwise, how would you know that you are? That's a, a process of conscious awareness which requires the flow of energy and information. That's the flow of, of spirit, which is mind. Mind is the flow of spirit. Mind's transfer spirit between each other. Energy and information is spirit. And soul is what's receiving the energy and information. So you could say soul is sort of the, the ear and spirit is the mouth of a relationship. Mm. Mm. That's really what embodiment is. If you look at the word M to be in, body, B-O-D-I is comes from bodice or a corset and meant is where we get the word mens or mm. mind, menza. Yeah, mind's mens. Right? Yeah. So it's to know that who we really are is the one that's in the corset using mm -hmm. the mind to relate. Yes. Whether or not you're relating to yourself or your partner, it's coming from that place of of the the real, the not the false I-ness, but the I-ness of who I really am yes. in this body. 
mm-hmm. that's relating to the body or relating to what I call myself or relating to my partner. Yes. Hi, everybody. Today, I have a very special, practical, free offering for you. I suspect you know that low back injuries are the most common of all orthopedic injuries, regardless of age, profession, or what sport people play. And a huge percentage of low back injuries happen while squatting. Squatting is one of the seven primal pattern movements I identified as essential to our ability to function well in our home, work, recreational, fitness, or sports environments. Most don't realize it, But the squat pattern is one of the most common patterns that lead to low back injuries. We are using the squat pattern when we get in and out of chairs, on and off the toilet, or engage small children. Additionally, to get in and out of a car requires a single-legged squat with a bend and a twist, particularly if you drive a car that's low to the ground, like a sports car, which is a very complex movement for anybody with a weak dysfunctional core or who has an unresolved back injury from the past, which is exceedingly common, even among world-class athletes. I would love to give you the squat assessment I developed for the students of the Czech Academy so you can identify any muscle imbalances, joint restrictions, or technical flaws that include the need for form correction or corrective stretching, joint mobilization, and specific strengthening. Anybody that wants to heal from back pain, avoid unwanted back pain, enhance work readiness and athletic performance will be well supported by using my free squat assessment checklist. My squat assessment is ideal for any athlete wanting to optimize their performance in the squat. My squat assessment includes three key setup assessments, 11 squat execution assessments, a list of key indicators of muscle imbalances, muscle weakness, or joint restrictions. Additionally, once you've downloaded my squat assessment, you will receive a sequence of follow-up videos that will show you how to use it. These instructional videos are not only highly informative, they are also free. To get your squat assessment form and free instructional videos on how to use it, to its potential, go to chekinstitute.com forward slash squat dash assessment. That's checkinstitute.com forward slash squat dash assessment. I'm sure you'll be amazed at how effective this squat assessment is, even if you don't have back pain, and how much it can help you help others. Enjoy. So really, relationship is love, relationship is mind, and relationship is the flow of energy and information, spirit, between souls, without which there could be no awareness of. Like, we share things that help us become aware of. Which, interestingly, links back to gossip. Gossip today is considered to be a negative thing, but before we had radios and televisions and cell phones the only way you knew what was going on in town is was gossip. You walk up to the to the wagon stop and someone says, oh, did you hear Joe Smith's barn burnt down? You're like, oh my God, no, he's got three of my horses in that barn. Holy shit. And then you're, I can't, get, I'm going to have to go to Joe Smith's house, you know? So what gossip was, was what we call news. I'll tell you something funny about gossip is that <clears throat> In, in the yogic tradition, they say that gossip came from the gopis. The gopis were, you know, go, sip, gopi is, is basically the ones, the, the, the female cow herders that were worshipping Krishna. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So to gossip was to like whisper sweet words of the divine, <laughs> right? And yeah. how far have we come from that? They were yeah. talking about, hey, did you see what Christian did? Did you see what Christian did? Yes. In in the field, like while, as they're attending That's to the, the cattle. News. That, that was their news. It yeah. was talking about all the beautiful ways that the divine expressed itself. Yes. And that was the true gossip and how far we've come from that. Yeah. And so as, since we're talking about that, so gossip today Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's almost always saying something to someone else that you don't have the intestinal fortitude to say to the person you really need to say it to. Mm-hmm. Right. Or you're looking for you know shock factor or reaction, or you want to feel a sense of pride that you know something that this other person doesn't know. Yeah. And it's almost like an like a puffing up of like, oh yeah, well I have this piece, this almost like the secret that yeah. you know maybe isn't mine to share, but I feel this like almost empowerment by mm-hmm. being able to share it with someone else that maybe I shouldn't be. And it can be a form of leverage. Because mm-hmm. you can leverage, so there you get your um, saboteur archetype being activated. If I say this about so-and-so, I can use that as leverage to get them to do something I want to do, which is a kind of a bribe, really. It's an entire industry. An <laughs> yeah, entire industry. Yes, we call it government today. Exactly, right. <laughs> there are billions of dollars flowing through the medium of gossip. Yeah. You know, Lucifer is the creator of illusions, and Aramon is the master of lies. So you see, you have the two shadow qualities of our souls working to make sure we have a spiritual experience to learn the importance of the truth, right? Mm-hmm. So that's crazy. Okay, so we basically have narrowed relationship down to love, mind, spirit, and soul, and healthy gossip. <laughs> <laughs> My next question is, why are relationships so important? The first thing that comes to my mind is uh, it is our opportunity. It's it's a, a huge growth opportunity uh, because of this mirror, because of this giving and receiving, this perpetual giving and receiving. Uh, if you're in relationship with no one or nothing and you're a hermit on the mountain by yourself, You've probably gotten to a certain level of spiritual involvement, but you may not be in the work. And so I think relationships offer people um, vast and perpetual opportunity for spiritual growth because you're getting um, immediate feedback on how you're conducting yourself, especially in like a close romantic relationship or or that with a child. We don't have kids yet, but I can imagine. I can lend you a couple. <laughs> yeah. So could I. <laughs> get you warmed uh, up. Yeah. Yeah. It's sure there are very practical reasons for a relationship, whether that be business endeavors, whether that be productive in the sense of community, um, for building society. In the domain of romantic relationship, Jesus, it has been the biggest learning medicine for myself in my life through 33 years. And I've had some pretty incredible life experiences, but nothing has been the mirror that my relationship has been. And when you enter into something on a deep level, you can, you can prop yourself up in this life to be pretty good at getting along with people on a relatively shallow basis, mm-hmm. such that you don't actually drill deep enough into yourself through those relatively shallow relationships it, yeah. to elicit something that really needs work. Mm-hmm. And so, I've been with this girl, this beautiful woman, since I was 16 years old. And, you know, we had 
what, seven years of bliss when we dated, it wasn't until we were married, until we went to an even deeper level of the relationship mm-hmm. that what that what was unearthed from me in the in the space of what I needed to work on, my own shit. Uh, it so the the romantic partnership aspect is such a learning mechanism mm-hmm. in addition to a roller coaster ride for experiencing peak human uh, experiences. Yeah. The bliss, the pleasure, the other side of all of the challenge. And so while it is this teacher in one sense, it is also this gateway to peak human experience that in, a, in what we've been articulating can give you this taste of the divine. Mm-hmm. I'll take it into just the business world is that I found that through having a great partner, I was able to make a lot more money. <laughs> like quite simply, like mm. trying to do everything yourself in business is not usually the most successful way to do it. One of the greatest uh, books on business partnerships out there is by Michael Eisner. And he said that in business partnerships, you always try to find and hire people that are better than you. Yeah. yeah. You know, we have so many, such of this egotistical mindset that we have to be the best. But in business, when you surround yourself with great people, mm-hmm. it becomes highly, highly successful and abundant for you. I think that's a great rule for marriages too. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. You know, I had I had a business partner, and I, I tell this story before, but I had a business partner and I was making like 90% of the, of the bonus based on our original agreement. And I started paying him more and more, 20%, 30%, because he was producing extremely well. Mm -hmm. One day he came to me, he said, let's go play tennis. So we went to go play tennis. We had a tennis court at our office at the the hedge fund in Greenwich. And we're out there. And he said, you know, I'm really putting in a lot of effort. I really really feel like I should make 40%. And for me, I thought about it. And I said, you know what? Let's just go 50-50. Let's really be in this together. Let's be equal partners. And by valuing him and by doing that, I made way more money than I ever would mm-hmm. of having trying to be doing it by myself or trying to have the line share of the profit. Yes. Really valuing the partnership made it be sustainable. It made it much easier. It's about having somebody who then has your back, mm-hmm. is willing to go into the foxhole with you because yeah. things do get difficult. It's sharing the wins and sharing the losses. Yeah. And it makes it more enjoyable, sustainable, and easier. And I found that by having a partner in business and by having the right partner, because I know there are a lot of partnerships and you've had a lot of experiences with business partners over the years that mm-hmm. have been have been painful and there's mm-hmm. probably a lot of lessons to learn. But if you find the right business partner, you know, let alone relation, relational intimate partner, but in business, I found it to, to be one of the keys to my success. It is the the challenge with that is that you this really requires a fairly comprehensive evaluation. You see, you were able to get to that point because you built up to it. So you had time to determine whether or not this person was really contributing 10%, 20%, 30%, 50%. But this is where the whole concept of equality can cause a lot of trouble. Like this is one of the problems with democracy. Everyone gets a vote. But what do you do if you're voting on whether or not you need to replace the HVAC system and everyone, including the one engineer in the building, gets one vote and all the people that have not got a clue about what they're about to vote on, vote in the opposite direction of the one guy in the room that knows what's going on. Well, that's what uh, Arnold Mendel from Process Work calls deep democracy. And what he says is that everyone gets a seat at the table, every voice is heard, 
but not every voice has the same weight. Yes. That's the a- problem in business and the problem in partnerships is when you don't listen to, to, the, to maybe yeah. the receptionist mm-hmm. or the entry-level employee. Yeah. And then you get what he calls inner terrorists. Yes. And this also happens when we don't listen to parts of ourselves. Absolutely. So you listen to everybody. You poll everybody. You survey. You, you want to get as much feedback as possible. But if you're doing a merger or an acquisition, the CEO is not going to have the same weight as maybe you know a second-year employee. But that second-year employee's opinion and voice needs to be heard. Well, because it can actually trigger an awareness in the CEO of what is or isn't functioning well, where value is or isn't, um, you know, key decision-making factors. I mean, you know, think of the CEO as the chief of an Indian tribe. And the question is, do we go to war or not? Now, the women and the kids might have an opinion on that, but the warriors that are out there um, surveying the property every day to see what's going on with the neighboring tribes is going to have much more information that's relevant to the chief in this regard. But asking a warrior whether or not we need more women in the tribe probably needs to be an opinion that would go to how the kids feel and, and what the women in the tribe already think. So there's always, it, this, this, this is already just showing us like rate relationships are very complex because the situation that you're in, in any given relationship, changes the dynamics of the relationship and the needs or what's important in the relationship. You know, like how good you are in bed isn't really important in a, in a, in a, a business relationship unless your business is pornography, I guess, but I've never really been in that business. Uh, so I wouldn't know, but, uh, you know, like, I have two wives. Angie is a very sharp businesswoman, and Penny's a very sharp businesswoman, but their orientation toward business is different enough that when they give their opinion, they can each add something to each other, which almost always adds something to my perspective, and sometimes my view is one that's important, too, largely because, you know, I'm the kind of the name on the business so if the business decision acts in a way that affects me in ways that make it harder for me to be me then that's going to be important but i think the key point i'm making is relationships are extremely dynamic and there's not fixed rules that you can just carry from business to home and home to tennis court etc you know that that that's One of the things that is so important about that is because, you know, Dan Siegel says the river of mind has two banks. One is chaos and the other is rigidity. So if you're in a relationship with anybody in any environment and somebody's too far into chaos or too far into rigidity, then you can't meet in the middle of the river, which means you can't get the boat to go in the same direction, right? And, and, And that's another thing. People change day in and day out. You know, somebody who you think's really stable finds out that their partner wants a divorce, they come to work the next day and they're just like completely in a state of chaos and start someone who usually is a genius can start making really bad decisions, which opens the door to the fact that these domains are permeable. Like we, you can't leave your love life and your children at the door. I tell people about the gym. I say nobody, no athlete walks into the gym and leaves their finances their relationships, their addictions, and everything else at the front door. And any strength coach or coach who thinks 
that they're able to get the same athlete every day is deluding themselves, you know. And we know that from watching the news. We, 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 we go over this a lot in, in the abundance archetype because I call it intersectionality, right? I had a, I had a very, very high-level trading coach when I was on Wall Street. It was a very, very expensive, um, you know, dollars per hour coach. And I remember he came in one day and he said, I don't care about your relationships. I don't, oh my it God. doesn't matter about this. I only care about your process. I said, how well am I supposed to be trading if I'm going through a divorce? Yeah. How well can I manage money? How well can I manage emotions or my mind? Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is like they are totally, totally linked because if you have a bad day at work, you come home, you're in a bad mood, you get into a relationship fight. You have a relationship fight, you're up late, you don't get enough sleep, yeah. you come back into work, you make a bad decision. Yeah. And it just goes on and on forever. Yeah, it does. And and um the other thing, you know, relationships are usually about two or more. So if you look at stress research and consciousness research, if our bodies are unhealthy, we always are pushed back into our inus. It's a survival reaction. If we're under stress, we go from all orientation, what's best for everybody, to we orientation, what's best for me and you. And if we're stressed enough, you start thinking, what's best for me? So whenever there's stress involved, it is a natural defense mechanism to think of yourself first. So if if the environment of the relationship is more stressful than either of the people can handle, you end up actually with a bunch of individuals trying to survive and that takes the, you know, there's, there's, um, the, there is, uh, there is no, how does that saying go? There is no I and we. Yeah, there is no I and we. So if you have any stress or illness that brings you to the I level, then you lose the we, and therefore the relationship actually starts to become more like a bunch of individuals struggling to get their needs met. But oftentimes that causes a problem because you lose sight. Like the the goal of an individual can be very different than the goal of a company or the goal of a family, right? So if there's not good practices for attenuating stress, for example, if one of you was to come home really upset because maybe someone backed into your car and smashed your fender in and all the stress that goes with that, then you would have to, the other one have to attenuate the stress because if you both behave the same way, the next thing you know, you're actually can create more yeah, problems just chaos. for each other. And yeah. then the next thing you know, you got more trouble and more stress. So you just go down, down, down into lower and lower levels of consciousness. And the problem is, as you go down into stress behavior, you start tapping into your unconscious programming because your unconscious programming runs automatically and therefore it does not require conscious thought. It's very energy conservative, right? Now, as we know, one of the challenges of relationships is when we're under stress, we start acting out our parental programming. We start acting out habits that we are able to consciously regulate when we're not under too much stress. Like sometimes we want to punch somebody in the face because they're being rude and maybe even in a business meeting that's important. And we have the energy to rein that in. 
and say, well, that's not really the best solution for everybody involved, including me, as much as I'd like to do it, right? But if you get tired enough and stressed enough, you can find yourself reacting and going, oh my God, what did I just do? And so I think this sort of is a category of concern is that especially when COVID happened, everybody was locked in their houses together. You saw alcoholism go through the roof, drug abuse go through the roof, addictions go through the roof, food consumption went up, people gained, you know, I think the average person gained 20 pounds during the lockdowns. Porn addiction. And and addiction goes up. And what is an addiction? It's a it's it's an attempt to find safe love. Mm-hmm. It's a coping mechanism. So if you don't, I mean, I would say that to the degree that a relationship is important to you, just like we have a plan for getting out of a building when there's a fire. Like, you know, when I was in the military, there's certain plans that you follow out when you, whenever you're going to be in an emergency situation. There's steps that you go through, and you go through them a million times so that you don't have to think about them. You just do it. Where's the fire extinguisher? You know, what's the procedure if your weapon gets jammed? You you have these important stress response plans that are practiced specifically so you don't end up in a situation where you're standing there trying to think about how to solve a problem that could take long enough to get you or someone else killed. And very few people practice how do we manage ourselves in a crisis or in an emergency or you know an an emergency can be I'm going to sleep with someone else and I'm not going to tell you about it this is one of the most important things actually on Wall Street as well that sleeping with someone else (laughs) (laughs) probably we called it a drawdown memo Ah. so at the beginning of the year you would say when everything's, you know, you're, let's just say you're, you're at zero dollars because it's day one, January one. You write a memo to yourself of what am I going to do if I go down 3%, 5%, 7%? How am I going to cut my risk? Am I going to take two weeks off of work? Am I going to, you know, how am I going to re-engage afterwards? And how, what am I going to do when things are going well and they start to go, go negatively? Because ultimately in those situations, you're really emotional. Your mind is screwed up and, yeah. and and you're reacting instead of actually following a structured plan that you put out when you were, you know, we could say sober. But this you know, we we need to have these things for our life too. What are we going to do if the power goes out? What are we going to do if we run out of food? What are we going to do if, you know, if we have a particular stress in a relationship? Yeah. So I I think actually doing these sort of these memos to our relationships or to ourselves in terms of what are the things that we're going to do if things go wrong so we're not reacting when they happen can be a very helpful strategy. Yeah, it's it's massive. It's The world is catabolic, right? The external world is stressful. And if our domain, that is the relationship or the family or in a, in a business environment, your, your partnership or your coworkers can't be anabolic, it can't be a moment to rest, restore, recover, you're going to continue the deterioration of your stress state. And we talk about it often in a relationship, but how can this container that we call our relationship be alchemy? 
How can we take what is stressful outside, recycle it in a way when we bring it into the safety of our relationship such that it can actually be something that we turn into positive expression in the external world? And if we're talking about you know abundance, I think that is a, a one of the attributes of how a relationship can be truly abundant is that it ends up being this space that regardless of the chaos that is the external world, when you take it into the home and whether that's your partner or your family, it's actually a, a preset of uh, conditions that you're actually able to take something that is quite challenging in the external world and recycle it in a way that you can go out again uh, feeling restored, feeling anabolic. Mm -hmm. I mean, it starts with even just understanding that that's a possibility, which I think a lot of people in romantic relationship or even in business relationship or whatever don't even understand or, or are fully awake to that being a possibility. Bad is bad and good is good. And instead of having this alchemizing attitude or approach or just curiosity, it becomes like, this is affecting me and I have no control here. I have no power. And that's certainly what we experienced in part one of our relationship was like, this is happening to us. And you kind of live in this reactive, reactionary mode that is definitely not good for the relationship. No. Hi, everybody. I don't think I have to convince you that the number one killer and the number one source of disease and dysfunction and disarray in people's life is stress. Well, I came across the best stress relief product I've ever used in my life, and I'm not bullshitting you. This stuff works. I've given it to friends. I've tested it regularly. It's absolutely functional, useful, tastes good, highly nutritious, super high quality. It's called de-stress. It's by Ned. In fact, it's so important for me that you understand how and why this works. I've got Adrian here, co-founder of Ned and Formulator, to tell us about this product, which I highly recommend. Yeah, well, Paul, this is this is near and dear to my heart, as I was just uh, telling you offline, which I'm sure I'll share on the podcast here at some point. My own journey towards Ned started with my own burnout, yes. a panic attack I had in front of 75 of my employees and completely completely threw me for a loop. The staggering figures around mental health and anxiety speak for themselves. So many of us, I think ourselves included, are just too familiar with stress, anxiety, and all these cortisol spikes that come with the pressures of the world we live in today. Yes, We've also been so conditioned to too quickly reach for prescription drugs or, or to self-medicate with substances like alcohol, all things that can be addictive and come with a long list of side effects. When in fact, natural solutions like exercise, time in nature, and, and plant-based solutions can be all we need to bring ourselves back into balance. So that's why we got together with our amazing team of formulators to craft the ultimate natural alternative for stress relief. And as you mentioned, we call it the Ned De-Stress Blend. It features organic full-spectrum hemp and organic ashwagandha, which are both sourced through our Farm to Net Alliance that we designed to procure the best botanical ingredients that actually work all while supporting independent, organic, regenerative farmers across America. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Yes. And it also features a lesser known cannabinoid called CBG, rightfully nicknamed the mother of all cannabinoids. So this is, think about CBD and all you might have heard about that. CBG is just levels above. So the result is a cleaner, side effect free solution for finding balance, tranquility, and and really, at the end of the day, what we always talk about is unlocking our innate abilities to thrive. And so many of us live in those prisons of stress. We have it available in both tincture and vegan capsules. 
So all you have to do is go to helloned.com and use the code CHECK, that's C-H-E-K, to get 15% off your first purchase. Plus, every order is backed by our 60-day stress-free guarantee. So if you don't feel a significant improvement in your stress levels, we'll give you your money back, no questions asked. It works extremely well. And as I learned from Adrian, you can even add it to coffee to smooth out the coffee experience and have a combination of a nice lift without all the buzz, which is a great addition. So give it a try. It's definitely the best de-stress product I've ever used in my life. And you got a great offer and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Enjoy. It's funny that you talked about that. What would you call that? Memo? Drawdown memo. Drawdown memo. Because years ago when I was doing a lot of research on plant medicines and going higher and higher and higher doses till I just hit psychosis so I could map the territory out, I had some very, you know, scary experiences as I was getting up higher and higher in these doses. And so the the there was a lot of trepidation, you know. I won't talk about the medicines and the doses because I don't want people to get bad ideas in their head. What I would do is I, you know, because I always do a mandala and, you know, all the prep. I would, I realized that I had to have reminders for myself. So I would actually, you know, how I carry notepads and journeys. I would write notes and I would say, just remind yourself that you wanted to do this. Mm. Don't be afraid. It's all you. Ask where the love is. Show me the love. Don't get caught in the fear. If you see something ugly, convert it into something beautiful. And once I started doing that, I would be laying there and I would like look at my notebook and go, oh yes, I chose to do this. This is not something someone did to me. You know, you can get deep enough mm-hmm. where you're going like, oh my God, why am I doing this? What, the, what kind of an idiot am I? And you can start going into, you can find your own shadows kind of coming out of the woodwork to capture you and scare the shit out of you, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like that drawdown memo because I had my own drawdown memos. You know, the, what you just said was, is I think one of the most helpful things for relationships as well. Yeah. Because for me, when I first met Kara after coming off of a, of a really wild divorce that we've talked about some, but I was, I was heartbroken and mm-hmm. I, I had no interest in being in a relationship at that, at that point in my life. Yeah. And I met her and I went out and I did, we, we talked about this a little bit too, but I went out and I did a, a medicine journey with my brother and I had a vision of myself and this new beautiful woman being together for the rest of our life and it was quite interesting because you know we just had met and i saw a vision of all of the ups and downs mm-hmm. i saw that it wasn't going to be all easy and it was going to be there's going to be challenges and conflicts and ups and downs but that the arc of it was 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 um going to be positive but then i got presented the medicine presented me with a choice are you ready to do this yes. are you ready to love again and i had to say yes you know what I choose to do this. Mm-hmm. And then I, you know, met Kara and we, we moved into each other with each other that weekend. And, you know, we've been together for six years and ha- having two kids. But the point is that for me, every time that things get tough and I, and I, that victim mentality starts to creep in where I'm like, how is this happening to me? Or why is this, why am I in this? I have to remind myself, 
you chose this. Yeah. You saw that you had the vision. And for me, that that dream of being in touch with not only the relationship dream, which I'm sure we'll get into, because that's really an important part of having a bigger dream of why you're together. What are you trying to create together? What's really that anchor? But also personally, because, you know, Kara wasn't there for that experience. But for me, I have that that dream line of saying, I chose this. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. It was my choice. And also having this kind of almost like resiliency to know that these things are going to smooth out because this was my choice and I saw where, where it was going in some way. Yeah. So I think that idea of taking responsibility, knowing that you chose to be in this relationship, you're not forced to be here. Yeah. And and owning that can be very helpful. Well, I, I, you know, I did it because you can get deep enough into a plant medicine ceremony where you're you're quite scared and sounds like relationship. Yeah. 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 Well, it is a relationship, right? <laughs> it's a very deep relationship with yourself. But the 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 what happens if you're if you fall too deeply into the child nature of yourself, you start finding ways to blame it on, oh, if so-and-so would have not told me to try this, or it's got to be this particular medicine doing this to me. I'm never going to do this again, or whatever. You know, you, you kind of just bury yourself in a bunch of, uh, you know, excuses. But that's the same thing we hear in, in the, with people going through relationship challenges. I mean, I think if there's anything that I'm realizing from today is that a relationship is like a really yeah. deep psychedelic <laughs> yeah. journey. It is the deepest yeah. and longest. <laughs> yeah, it is, and yeah. you, and you know the the that I think <clears throat> that's why God makes sex so pleasurable because you know think of yourself as a bee. It's a lot of work to make honey, but honey is very sweet and tasty, right? And so ultimately, we're doing the work, but if we lose sight of making some honey together then the relationship's just too much work. So I, I think sex is really an important glue in relationship. Right? It's a, it, well, really, grease. Yeah, grease, but, but, it, but the real, I mean, glue in the, in the magnetic factor, right? Yeah. It, it has to, you know, hold things together. Like, you know, those models, you can make things out of magnets. If you lose the magnetic force, your model won't. You can't build a model. It just falls apart. Um, yeah, the grease is is you know I've spoken about that, but the the grease means love love should create, um, it should make the relationship more easy, and efficient, and it should help you work through problems. So, the simple point I'm making is is that if we lose the intimate connection of personal relationships, like intimate relationships, like spousal relationships, then the work of making the honey can be so overwhelming that you can't make it through it because there's not enough sweetness to inspire you to go, you know, do the work. And I, I think one of the things that people overlook, A, we started with clarifying that love and relationship are really just reflections of each other and that both love and relationships always come with responsibility. There's no such thing as a a relationship or love without responsibility. And I think when you're young, you're looking oftentimes for the sexual pleasure, but you're not really conscious of the responsibility that comes with that. I mean, look how many children are born out of what was really a sexual escapade. And because the lack of awareness of the work of love and relationship and the lack of commitment 
to that person, it results in a lot of damaged children and orphaned and aborted and traumatized children. Which brings up a really important point. It's it's I studied Arnold Patton's course on relationships. I don't know if you ever saw that one, Jason, but Arnold Patton, the the money guy, has a course on relationships. It's like a weekend course, and I it was on audio, so I studied it on audio. But he gives what he calls the three rules of relationship. Um, and he says that you have to go through these three stages. The first one is friendship. So first you need to become somebody's friend. And the second relation step is relationship. And a lot of my patients and clients, when I'm working with them on this, say, well, what's the difference between friendship and relationship? Because isn't a friendship a relationship? The difference is this. If you just met someone a week ago, even if you hit it off real well, would they be the person that you would ask to pick you up at 4.30 in the morning to (laughs) get to an important 6 a.m. flight when you're not really sure yet they're reliable? Or if you're going out of town for two weeks and you just met this really cool person a week ago and you have a cat and plants, would you trust them with the key to your home? So the difference between friendship and relationship is that the friendship matures enough for you to determine what their values are, where their moral compass points, and are they trustworthy at the level of relationship beyond friendship, right? We all have friends that we probably wouldn't give the keys to our house to. And here's the punchline. He says, first is friendship, then is relationship, then is intimacy. But most of us start Oftentimes, before the friendship's even there, it's like, wow, you have a nice ass, and I want a piece of that. And maybe it's you do too. And so intimacy becomes the first point. Then friendship is maybe going to happen, and relationship often never happens. Or you make the even bigger mistake, you have a really explosive sexual relationship, but you don't really develop enough friendship to grow through the relationship and you get married because you think that the sex is a measure of how well you're going to do in the rest of the relationship, which is a really dangerous. I think the sexuality though, I mean, just for me, and and I'm not sure how he's using the word, but there's a difference between a sexual relationship and an intimate relationship. Well, I think, I know for sure he's speaking of people getting sexually involved. Right. But what I'm saying is, you know, we can be, we can be sexually involved and then we can find, we can actually find ways that don't even include sex to create deeper intimacy. With well, someone. true. Because int- intimacy is really an extension of the relationship factor. Uh, you know, for example, the same person you'd be willing to lend the keys to your house to keep an eye on things is probably also the person that knows a lot more about you than your friends do that aren't at the relationship level. Like they know maybe what prescriptions you're taking or what you're seeing the doctor for or the challenges you've had in your relationship with family members or things like that. So yeah, intimacy is definitely more than sex. But in this context, Arnold Patton was just talking about the simple fact that when people put sexual intimacy in front of friendship and relationship, it usually acts like TNT. You shake it just a little hard and it blows things up. 
it's quite interesting though because imagine applying that same principle to yourself. Can I be friends with myself? I, th- I can, am. Yeah, I, I am too. But you know, a lot of people don't do well if they're just hanging out by themselves. It's one of my favorite things to do. But me too. Can we be friends with ourselves? Can yeah. we enjoy time with ourselves? Yeah. Can we rely on ourselves? Yes. Can we rely on ourselves to wake up on time, to exercise, to eat right? You know. Yeah. And then, can we develop deeper intimacy with ourselves? That's why I created the I, we, all rule of relationships, which means first you have to have a healthy relationship with yourself and be clear about what those needs are. If you aren't clear about what your needs are in relationship to yourself, then you carry all that insecurity, unconsciousness, blank spots into a we relationship, which just increases the complexity factor and the wow, uh, the surprise, the booby trap factor goes up and then if you carry that into an all and a good example of of all is any teacher that doesn't understand themselves like imagine if you're a yoga teacher and you aren't really very deep in your relationship with yourself but you're teaching other people how to do yoga well if you're teaching one person you're going to imprint your own shallowness into that relationship but if you're teaching a group of 30 now you're imprinting that into 30 people so you you know i can see that to tell you this with personal trainers and strength coaches, they will watch a video on, te- on, on uh, social media of somebody doing some crazy-ass exercise. And I, I prove this to my students uh, just to so show my students how dangerous this is. And I, I was talking about, you know, all the f- things of corrective exercise and, and the things you got to be aware of. And I said, now, if you want to see how dangerous it can be to not have this level of mastery when you're a strength coach or a personal trainer, I'll show you. And I, I happened to be teaching in a large gym in Calgary at the time, and we were on the second level, and the way the gym was built was like there's classrooms all around the second floor, like meeting rooms and, and you know meeting halls and classrooms, and then you, there was a hallway goes around a big square, and you look down into the gym. So you're on the second floor looking down on the gym floor. So you can see the whole gym floor from up there. And I said, now here's what I want you to pay attention to. I'm going to go down. I want you to all stand here and look over the balcony. I'm going to go down and I'm going to do a crazy ass exercise. I'm just going to make one up. And I want you to start your stopwatch from the time I stop the exercise. See how long it takes some trainer to do this with somebody else without having any awareness of whether or not they can handle it or whether they're ready for it. So I went down, and they had plyo boxes of different heights, like one foot, foot and a half, two feet, all the way up to like a four-foot box. And there were big boxes, you know, like you could, you know, probably four feet square. So they're like you could hop on them and things like that. So I say, okay, what can I do that's crazy here? So I went over to the squat cage, loaded up a bar with 135 pounds. I walked over to the, the, the box that was probably two feet tall and I had to thrust myself up almost like a you know a lunge up I got on top of the box I did two 360s like a helicopter with an Olympic barbell on and 45 pounds on each 135 pounds and then I hopped off the box and walked over and put it away how long do you think it took before a trainer tried to do that with a woman about 45 to 48 years old oh god 
That's well, it would be on Instagram in probably yeah. less than a minute now. It was um, one minute and 35 wow. seconds. Oh, Jesus. my God. One minute and 35 seconds. And the woman that he was doing it with uh, probably couldn't even handle the weight of gravity. And he had a bar on her back. I think he put like a 10-pound weight on each side and had her doing exactly that exercise, which I just completely made up. So it's not something he would have known out of a book or anything. And so I was showing my students, if you don't have enough depth of knowledge and intimacy and understanding of the mechanics and the forces and the stresses of a and an exercise as a relationship, you're in a relationship with that type of pattern of movement and that type of load, then you're going to do something to somebody else because you don't know what the ramifications of it are. And if you're teaching that to people, then you're going to actually imprint this on all of them. So this sort of plays out in all of our relationships. And it, what does it all point back to? It points back to ourselves. And that's really one of the most important parts of a relationship is doing the relationship work with yourself so that you actually know who's in the relationship to the best of your ability. Now, as we grow and mature, that depth gets better and better. You know, like I would probably, I mean, I, I, can, I know for sure that I could have become business partners with or sexual partners with lots of people in my mid-30s to 40s that today I would not engage because I have a much more finely tuned radar from all of the mistakes I made. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the the other tip is relationships take time. You got to mature. Yeah. People talk about the spark in a relationship. How do you keep the spark alive? How do I find the spark with a significant other? We get asked that question a lot. We get the question all the time. And you can conjure a spark through like sexual connection, through sexual chemistry. But if you haven't established some of the things we're talking about, friendship, um, intimacy, you know, maybe novelty is important, maybe spontaneity is important. If you don't transition the spark into a flame such that you're you have the relationship that is this everlasting fire it will die Mm -hmm. and you'll just repetitively look for the spark maybe it's for you it's it's sexual chemistry just over and over and over before you apply these other ingredients to the flame such that you can nurture it into an everlasting fire then you have to create the hearth too yeah you have to create the container for it that can sustain and hold that bigger fire than just a little spark which takes work brick by brick by brick you're building this hearth and uh, otherwise the fire goes crazy as you've been talking about in these different stages yeah and i think there's another factor too there's often not always but there's often a dominant personality in a relationship you usually have an extrovert coupled with an introvert it's you can have two introverts. It's less common for reasons that we can get into because I have the law of traction of relationships here. But you see, for example, if I demand that this is what Angie and Penny will do, and this is how we're going to organize the property, and this is where we're going to put this trellis or these trees or whatever, then... I'm not building the hearth with them. I'm basically building a cage of my liking that they're going to get trapped in, and we're going to call that a relationship. And unfortunately, I must admit, that's a pretty common male characteristic. Uh, Nancy Picard calls it the blatant and the latent partner. And one (laughs) is the blatant, and 
you know, inflicting their wants and desires and this is what we're going to do. And then the latent is the person that says, yes, okay, yes, okay, yes, okay. I think the key point is that we understand is that um, building the hearth has got to be a um, a reciprocal mutual process. You know, it's like um, mothers yeah. that decorate their kids' rooms for them when they're like six years old or more. I mean, my daughter's four. And I dare you to try to change something in her room <laughs> yeah. without her permission. Yeah. And Mana's seven. And he will probably shoot you with his laser tag gun <laughs> if you move anything in there. Because he has a real sense of place. Like, it's his place. So, even at that level, there is a real sense of self involved. It's amazing that little people like that have already got a sense of their hearth, Right. So if we, you know, you're just, you're, you just built a new house, right? And, and it was clear that how important it was to Kara to, to really have a lot of influence on a lot of the things of the house, from the color to the carpeting to all the things that you and I talked about. The question I would have for you is what would happen if you did all that yourself and didn't let her have her say? It would probably look a lot weirder that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean one of the you know it's it, it's what's bringing up for me is that you know when 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 kara moved to new york with me she moved into my life right right she moved into my home it's just like a, almost like a bachelor pad you know was living the way i was and the values were my values and the kids went to bed at the time that i decided and all this and we had to work through some really difficult times to really kind of find the middle what do we want to create together yeah you know um i had a lot of input in the house but you know i knew how important it was for her to have her own home to choose the colors to choose the fabrics mm -hmm. and she did a way better job than i could have anyway and she yeah. was way more mindful about staying on budget she's but, artistically talented yeah she's yeah she's amazing at that but it was it was really important to create a home together mm -hmm. um, to have a shared vision which i think is really the most important thing is is that this is ours and we're doing this together that 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 really is that really is what relationships are all about i think at the heart of it all yeah that's why i continue to to call chase and i's relationship i always refer to it as a partnership i've referred to him as my partner and some people might think that i'm a lesbian because <laughs> i say the word partner but that's really what it feels like it feels actually more authentic than calling him my husband it feel we're not legally married anymore but like it feels more authentic to refer to him as my partner because that's how i think of him and that's how i want it to feel is yeah. not that i won't ever call you my husband if we choose to get remarried but um the partner it actually feels really good in my body compared to part 1 of our relationship where it it didn't necessarily always feel like a partnership and having that context um uh, is really helpful now, and I, I feel the difference in my body, and I I love calling you my partner. Yeah, and getting back to curiosity, something we started the conversation with, that's a huge component to consistently evaluating whether it is really a partnership, and it's maintaining that commitment to curiosity for what your significant other is interested in, for what they're interested in bringing uh, forth to the relationship. And so, again, just core tenant to healthy relationships, curiosity. Yeah, the one thing I put on the list to talk about is what I call the lock and key fit of relationship, which is a law of attraction. Like attracts like and opposites attract. And a lot of people get confused about that. How could like attract like and then opposites attract? Because they think it's kind of contradictory. 
But like attracts like means we usually are attracted to people that have similar values to us, that we, we have values harmony. Um, there's uh, enough parallel in our worldview that we don't feel like we're with an alien um, and that we don't have to swim upstream in every conversation. So the like attracts like is really often a values statement. And opposites attract usually means a male will attract a female, female will attract a male. It also means that we tend to gravitate toward people that have strengths where we have weaknesses. Penny's very left brain, very good at math and accounting. I can't stand that stuff. But I'm a very creative person. I can think outside of the box very well. So she's often amazed at how I can talk about how the soil relates to the quality of the protein in your hair and, and whether or not your teeth are healthy. Because to her, soil science is part of farming and your teeth are dental issue. You see what I'm saying? Like her left brain divides these things up and says, okay, you know, you go see the dentist for that and you go to the farm for that. But then she comes to a lecture with me and I show how what you're eating is actually changing everything and is sending you to the dentist, but the dentist is never going to send you to a better farm, right? So she gets to learn how to see the world through my right brain and I get to get the support of her mathematical, logical skills, her planning skills, her mapping skills. And all of us, you know, what, what's your lock and key fit? Like what's the positive you bring and, and that she needs and what's the positive you bring that he needs? I'm definitely a traditional masculine in the sense that I'm I'm uh, I can compartmentalize, I can organize uh, left or right, top to bottom. Often, I, I do believe that I have a more creative, outside of the box aspect that's been somewhat dormant. But in the the sense of the relationship, it's been structure, uh, it's been safety, um, leadership oriented, action oriented that complements a lot of a lot of your skill sets. Yeah, I think too. I tend to lead in my work, I lead with my heart. And if I'm not lit up by something, if I don't feel inspired by something, if I don't feel drawn to something like magnetized, um, I don't want to do it. It doesn't feel good. And Chase has the ability to, even if I don't like this, I know it's good for me, or I know it's going to make this many dollars or make this much impact, even though I don't like it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to drill down. I'm going to, you know, bear down and do it. And uh, I think that it actually does bring a complementary nature to our business because I'm constantly like reminding him of, you know, leading with your heart and how important that is. And you're constantly reminding me in a, in a beautiful way now, like I think in part one, it would have butted heads a little bit, but now it's, we're able to appreciate appreciate and celebrate the differences rather than seeing them at odds, which I think a lot of people, that's why they might struggle in business is because they see like, why aren't you seeing it the way that I see it? Because this makes sense in my brain. And how does it not make sense to you? So now I think we're in a position where we can recognize and celebrate. Um, but certainly he's reminding me of like, yeah, we need to also pay attention to the metrics. We also need to be looking and making sure we're profitable. These are the things like, let's put it in an Excel spreadsheet. And my brain does not work that way. And But I think we have a good complementary nature of heart and mind together. Hi, everybody. I'm sure you've heard me talk about the many injuries I've had doing many wild things from racing motocross to riding in the rodeo and crashing stock cars and being a paratrooper. 
And one of the things that's really helped me a lot to make my joints more comfortable and heal is collagen. And Bioptimizers has just come out with an amazing new product called Collagenius that actually goes way beyond anything we can get in the standard collagen supplementation classification. And I've got Mark Effinger here, who's the chief product officer at Bioptimizers, to tell us about their new product, which I'm very excited about. Mark, tell us what's unique about Collagenius. Well, thanks, Paul. Um, I, and I really appreciate this, by the way. So Collagenius came about um, as an accident of my lab assistant trying to compartmentalize different mushroom extracts from one to one all the way to a hundred to one. These are all medicinal mushrooms and they're all organic. And we were finding this really interesting overtone of chocolate and cacao coming out of these mushroom extracts. And the more extraction we got, the further we got down the extraction lane, the higher the, the chocolate notes would come out of these. So me being a, a, a more of a scientist, I was trying to cap these things. She being more of an incredible chef decided that what if we could flavor these up and us both being over 50 and me having some of the same experiences you have in breaking bones and tearing muscles and tendons <laughs> decided, wouldn't it be great if we could, we could take the, the benefits of collagen and the restorative and, and tissue repair and combine it with these micronutrients that are available in mushrooms that activate the collagen and make it bioavailable. So we started blending those things up. And as a result, we came up with this nootropic, this brain enhancing mushroom stack that is also a super collagen enhancer. And those together became Collagenius. That's so amazing. I just love the exploration. I love the marriage of your wife's chef skills and your science skills. And that's just the magic of a healthy relationship. And that really describes my relationship with Bioptimizers. Just magical because I love all their products. I, I've always had a great relationship with Wade, and I love it because everything Bioptimizers sells actually works. What a concept. So, hey, you guys, get your Collagenius at N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A, that's newtopia.com forward slash living number four and the letter D. That's newtopia.com forward slash living four D, and get your discount with Paul 10 on checkout. I can't wait to hear what you think about Collagenius. Enjoy. It's interesting because with the like attracts like and the opposites attract, we often seem to attract partners that in some way are like our parents. Oh, we do for sure. But I can give you a whole explanation <laughs> on that one. But they look sometimes opposite so that yeah. we're not marrying our, our mother or yeah. our father, right? And so, you know, to me, it's quite amazing when you think about, like, you know, my first wife was from Brazil and Kara's from Idaho. How many different people had to mold both of us into the, to the people who we are? All of the choices that were made, all of the different decisions we made to live here, to go to school here. I mean, you, you, you've talked about this before, but the, literally the whole universe is involved. has <laughs> to conspire. Yep. To make this lock and key fit, it, yeah. it's truly phenomenal. And you know, one of the things we talk about in my course is that we have these blueprints that we're, we're quite unaware of. Mm -hmm. How our parents were married, what their marriage was like, mm -hmm. the way they related to us as children, what they expected from each other, their expectations of each other, their relationship, their ways of having conflict, mm -hmm. um, how they were around money or how they were around mm -hmm. professionally. Cr usually from the ages of, you know, 
birth to seven or ten years old, we form these blueprints, mm -hmm. and we're literally attracting somebody who usually is a lock and key fit to dream up in the relationship really this this part of ourselves that we're unaware of this unconscious yeah. part of ourselves so that we can we can actually have an experience of learning yeah and one of the things that arnie mandel talks about it is that he says that you know we think we're in bed with our intimate partner and there's just two of us but ultimately there's about 30 or 40 yes. people yeah, in yeah. the room yeah he calls them ghost roles so orgies are more common than we thought <laughs> right with yeah. ghosts at yeah. least yeah so you're there with your partner but all you know, right behind you. First of all, it's all of your your parents' views on sex, and it's your you know religions, and it's all of the trauma you've had, and all of the past relationships you've had, and your grandparents, and where they came from, and all of these things are moving around and creating this blueprint that's moving through us. And so, it really creates a lot of awareness to be able to to, to sit back and reflect and understand what are these pieces that are moving through us. And what's really helpful is understanding these things in our partner. Mm -hmm. So that we know if I'm there with Kara and she's getting upset with me about something, it's not this personal thing where Kara is mad at me. Mm -hmm. I could almost see her m grandmother that was abused or repressed behind her. I could see this lineage of women that ha didn't have their voices heard. And by, by actually doing that work, you, you, you can depersonalize it, which helps you manage it and helps you move through the conflict to create deeper intimacy. Yeah. There's a system in native cultures called the Native American Family Matrix. Are you familiar with that? Well, basically, it, it works on psychic energy. And so what you do is you take a piece of paper, poster board usually, depending on the size of your family, and what I have people do is just cut out a little square or a circle or make a unique shape for each person, you know, that feels right for them. Like, you know, this one's a banana, this one's a half a moon, this one's a star, this one's a square. And you write that person's name. And you want to do this with, uh, it's most important to do it with everybody that's alive, not so much dead ancestors. And then what you do is you put yourself in the center because it's, for you to navigate so you, so i would say this is me in the center paul and then you start with your core family members like mom and dad because they have the most impact on you and then brother sister then you go to grandma grandpa uncles aunts and you sort of work your way out from the core of the family because that's how the energy flows in the family from the center out right it's unless you are in a weird, weird situation where maybe your mother works all the time because uh, she's a single mother, and so your uncle comes to take care of you during the day. Then you might have to change the dynamic, but it should be really based on the amount of time, exposure, and contact you have, therefore influence that person has on you and you on them. And so what you do is you you put yourself in the center, and then you say, you use this to represent the psychic landscape. And so then you say, okay, I'm going to take my mom and I tell people, touch your finger to the circle of yourself and then take the piece that represents your mother and move it and feel what's happening inside of you. How close does that mother piece get? Does it make you feel better or more stressed? So you keep going, almost like you're playing Ouija, until all of a sudden you feel calm and centered in yourself and you say, okay, um, we're going to put mom right there. 
And then you take dad and you'd go through and you, and you might find dad is sitting right next to mom, but you might find he's way over here. And normally you'll see that that relationship actually mirrors their working relationship with each other. Mom and dad are not close. They don't get along well. They're Catholics, so they're till death do you part. So they're sleeping in different bedrooms. They don't have sex anymore. They argue and fight all the time. But if you put mom and dad too close together, you'll feel that creates chaos inside of you and it creates stress. So ultimately what you do is you keep moving the pieces around once you get all the pieces on, then you got to go back and say, does mom still feel good with Aunt Betty there and Bob over there? And you keep moving the pieces until you have this sense of stability inside of you. And it's a crazy thing. I've done it with a lot of people. And it's real normal for people to report back to me that within a day or two, all of a sudden things are changing in their relationships. Wow. People that used to be real stressful and mm -hmm. irritating are not bothering them anymore. People that didn't get along start getting along. And when you think about it, this is really a form of remote viewing. This is how, if you study Joseph Campbell's books on shamanism and many others, the shaman would go into a prayer ceremony, meet the spirit of the animal that they were hunting, the elk, the deer, the buffalo, would ask permission to feed the tribe, and then would ask the spirit of that animal for a vision as to where to meet it to hunt it. And I've got books showing these maps right here in my library and the natives acknowledging that that's exactly where the kill took place. Wow. Very can, consistently. I can give a testimonial on that because we, we actually have one of those in my home um, that we created and it's, it's quite beautiful actually. Mm -hmm. The cool thing about it is first of all, just to have your family all together and have a moment just to blow smoke to them or light yes. incense and connect mm -hmm. with the whole yes. group especially if you have any black sheep that you don't normally talk to or connect to. It's a way even to have safe love to people that you don't want to maybe communicate with on a daily basis. But, you know, interestingly, when you look at that as a Native American wheel, the Native American look at the, the four directions and then mm -hmm. even the non-cardinal, the eight directions, all as having very specific energies. Yeah. Mm. Right? So when you put something and you're finding the place, okay, this is in the northeast, this is in the southwest, it relates to a type of energetic design, an mm -hmm. element, you know, earth, water, fire, air, mm -hmm. or archetypal you know, design, archetypal energies of the design of energies of, of how, how energy moves, how dreaming works, mm -hmm. how the elements work together. So you're, you're working with all of the sort of the symbolic archetypes that create everything. So it's not just like this, you know, thing of putting people around. It's when you move and you see that your, your mother is in the South, you can recognize maybe that the South is, is a healing place, a place of plant medicine, the place of water, the place of fish or snakes. And you can more understand what, why she's in that position versus maybe your brother's in the North, a place of dreaming and inspiration and calling mm -hmm. in a new vision or a vision quest. And, and it's, it, it, it's not, it's, it's a whole relational thing. So when we made this, and we also at times have done it using biogeometry to see what what piece on the board goes where based on relationships of biogeometry. We've had wild things happen. Like the, the the day of making it, at least three or four different types of relationships of people calling each other that hadn't spoken or you know, and it, it's not always like a positive in your mind thing. It could be two people that have been in 
thinking about getting divorced for a while, having a lot of fighting, but then it facilitating change where they separate, right? Mm -hmm. It's not this just this magic thing that yeah. everything's going to be happy, but no. it makes things move. It allows yeah. the energies to flow. Yeah. So people, anything that's stuck, you know, which is interesting because like in process work, we study coma work. And in coma work, the goal is not necessarily to bring somebody back from a coma. It's to help them either wake up or pass over. Mm -hmm. mm. The problem is the stuckness. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want someone to just be on life support stuck for you know six years getting pumped. You know, it's either helping them transition or helping them pull back. And the, I think it's the same idea of the wheel there. It, it's great. I mean, like we get questions often from our show where, where people will, will want us to convince them to continue to stay in their relationship. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And it's like, Hey, we're not, we're not here just anti-divorce. You might literally need to get divorced. You might need to move on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're stuck in a miserable state and you're, you're yeah. unwilling to work on it um, and you're unwilling to, to move on. I mean, you're torturing yeah. yourself. We ultimately don't tell anyone what to do because we're not in the relationship and we can't ultimately, nor, nor do we want the responsibility of, of having that influence of, you know, if they should stay or they should go, but it, we give them things to consider. But yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's a lot of people are looking to be convinced to stay even when it's totally toxic, well, totally that's dysfunctional. Christian programming, yeah. right? Yeah. Up, straight down the line. Um, I'll share something on that regard with you. You know, after 17 years of marriage, Two things I knew. One, I knew that I wasn't cut out for monogamy. It just it was too stressful for me. It was too unnatural for me, partly because my first wife and I got together when we were 16 and we were 17 years and we were just got to the point where we were just like salivating to have sex with somebody else just because we never had the exploration of it and the, the novelty of it, the newness of it. And I knew that I still hadn't fulfilled that part of myself and, and I didn't want to be in a relationship with someone where I had the urge to have sex with someone else, but didn't feel safe to keep that up on the table for fear it might blow the relationship apart. So my promise to myself is I'm not going to marry anybody that won't allow me the freedom to be myself, and I won't marry anybody that I can't give the freedom to be themselves because I already had 17 years of internship on how that works out, and it worked out to be very painful. But when me and Penny got together, my statement to her was, I don't want you to think that my wanting to marry you is an expectation that we're going to stay together even when we don't want to be together. I'm not interested in that, and I don't think you are. I said, my commitment to you and my request to you is, let's stay in this marriage together as long as we're willing to wake up each day and honestly work on our challenges because we love each other enough to grow through these challenges together. I said, but if it comes to a point where you don't want to work through challenges with me anymore because you know for any reason you just do not want to be married to me anymore, I want you to make sure you tell me because each day we spend in bondage from that point on is a day we miss finding the person that we're now supposed to be with for the next stage of our development in love and, and spiritual growth and in life experience. And she totally felt the same way, you know, and I think it's, it's very important to realize that soul contracts do have an end. We're not all meant to be together forever. And there's a certain point at which the soul contract comes to an end and you may love that person, but in a different way. Like I still love my first wife, 
but I don't have this burning urge to go jump in bed with her and get back into a relationship. I already know that we're just not compatible on levels that are very important to me. Like I'm a very driven, creative, focused guy, and she wants someone that's much more of a steady eddy, eat dinner at this time, watch TV, hang out, you know, a, like a, a, a sort of a more um, White House picket fence type deal. And I'm much more of the, you know, the warrior, hunter, explorer type. And I needed a, a woman like that, and Penny is, you know. So I think it's just really important that people be very honest with themselves when they don't have it in their heart to work through problems. Because I've seen people spend tons of money on relationship counseling with family and marriage counselors. But when I had them in therapy with me and said, well, you've done three years of family and marriage counseling, I have a really important question for you. So nobody in the room but me and you. When you went into it, did you want it to work out? And very often the answer is no. Why'd you do it then? Because I knew that if I didn't do it, my spouse would be really upset at me and think that I just gave up on the relationship and my mom and dad and his mom and dad would have all sorts of judgments of me, etc. So I had to make sure I did enough relationship counseling that if it didn't work, they would at least think I gave it a good go. But you see what's being said? I was already out of the relationship three mm -hmm. years ago. I'm just doing my time in prison to satisfy everybody else's belief system. And I'm saying to them, do you realize that's three years you could have spent with somebody building and growing in love instead of suffering through a belief system that actually you grow further and further apart while you also leading your partner on by not being honest because yeah. they think you're actually in counseling to heal the relationship. Mm -hmm. And so it's a super, super adult commitment to say, it's time to go. You know, my heart's not in it anymore. And I love you as a person and I love you for what we've created and grown through and lived through together, but I don't have it in me anymore because I can't get my nutrition from this relationship. And I don't think you can either, because if I can't be present in the relationship, you're never going to get what you need from me. And you'd be amazed at how many years I've had people, many people that were married for 35 years. I had one person I was working with that had some serious health problems that was married for 35 years, had three kids. And I said, you know, I tracked it back to relationship troubles, the whole thing. And I said, you know, well, you know, from what you've told me, you've been married for 35 years. I have an important question. At what point in the relationship did you know you had married the wrong person? And the answer was the day we got married. Oh, geez. Jesus. I yeah. said, so you labored through this. You had three kids and you knew you didn't want to be in the relationship. Why didn't you, why did you go through with it? Why didn't you just call it off? Well, I'm a Christian. That's the most common answer I get. And so you have that whole story. And, I didn't want to have to deal with the backlash of that, my spouse's family realizing that I didn't want to be married after they spent $35,000 on the wedding and all these other excuses, right? That's really an example of the difference between a child and an adult. Mm -hmm. And that is also something very important. People have to be very conscious. If you're getting into any kind of a committed relationship, whether it be a business relationship, whether it be a spousal relationship, whether it be 
you know, even teams. I've worked on many professional sports teams that had terrible relationship dynamics in them. It's really common. I mean, we've all seen this. And so if you don't get clear on what the adult commitment is to the relationship and how to define when the relationship actually has reached its pinnacle and or, or its, shall we say, scope of function, yeah. then you, you actually can revert back because then what happens is you get so stressed, your shadow starts coming out and, and you, you actually start blaming everything on the other person. And if you get two people doing that, then mm-hmm. you end up with two people kind of working in completely opposite ends, different directions, hoping to get a better result. And it yeah. never, never works. They're both in voluntary prison. And the children are in a disastrous environment in a place like that. You know, th- this this is a reflection that I've had, but I think this gets down to, in, in some ways too, is are are we compatible with the person that we're getting into relationship with? And if you look if you look around the world, like let's say a place like India that has arranged marriages, which we think is is quite um, stressful, you know, <laughs> archaic, scary, yeah. Right. But th- they they seem to have better success ratios than we do in terms of staying married. Now, some of that might be cultural influences, but the reality is is that whether or not we have an arranged marriage or not, looking, let's just say, you know, starting with the four doctors, do we have similar values on diet? Do we eat, you know, are, am I a vegetarian and you're uh, a carnivore? You know, that's going to be have some conflicts, right? Yeah. Am I even, am, am I like, a deep sleeper and you're an insomniac. Yeah. You know, to t- try to have, you know, relationship troubles of, of sleeping are, are huge. Well, how much movement do we need? What are our values around movement? What, what makes us actually authentically happy? Yeah. What is our energy like? You know, are we like a really like up energetic person or are we kind of like lethargic, low key? How do we feel? How do we think? What are our dreams? How do we use our discernment? Yeah. And, and what's the, the level of our soul? Um, evolution in terms of what are we interested in life. I mean, these are things that I, th- I don't think we really think about before getting into relationships, but they seem to be the things that, that ultimately drive us apart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, it, one, of the, uh, one of the things that we did absolutely right when we got back together, uh, we were divorced for three years and we'd organically reconnected and just like absolute spark. It was completely uh, beautiful and amazing. But before we went any further beyond just the infatuation of this part two to our relationship, we sat down and said, hey, what are your non-negotiables? That's critical. Before we start this thing back up, Mm -hmm. after all the hell that we've been through in Mm -hmm. our divorce and our history, what are the Mm non-negotiables? And it was an authentic expression of who we both were, because we weren't the Christian kids that got married uh, super young like we were in the past. And it was, hey, health is a critical component to my life. Um, hey, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm deeply curious about what else is out there. And that's going to yeah. be a huge part to my part of my life. Um, I'm not interested in getting married anytime soon. And we both shared these really critical parts of our life uh, during our individual journeys away from each other that had become so so deep into our own constitution that we're going to be non-negotiables before we set the table for a part two to our relationship. And it's been, and we readdress them because they do change. And we talk mm-hmm. about curiosity and we we come back to these ideas. Hey, where are you at with this now, today? And it's been an absolute you know, game changer. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That's what I call the must have and the yeah. must not have list. Yeah. <laughs> this reminds me of an exercise that, that Paul gave me before I got into um, 
a partnership with Kara, and it's called writing your shadow vows. Yes. <laughs> okay, so we all have these vows, like I'm gonna be with you forever, yeah. and I yeah, love you yeah. till the this. pie in the sky. But it's like it's like consecrating or writing down when I don't get this need met. Like if I don't have time to do to exercise, if I don't have time to go on retreats, if I don't get enough sex, if I don't have enough right. sex, huge. This is what you're going to see. Yeah. <laughs> a really pissed off, angry person. Yeah. And I'm going to be grumpy and I'm not going to be nice to be around. And writing that all out and agreeing to that. Yeah. It's, okay, I understand. So I understand if, I, if I'm not doing this in the relationship or I'm doing this to you or you're, doing, you're not getting this particular need met, this is, what's gonna, this is what you're going to be like. And then having the partner do that as well. Mm-hmm. And then you understand it, right? Because you say, like... If you, let's say, need sex at least once a day, which isn't that unusual for a healthy male or female, my God, I've, females can mow a male down if they're healthy. <laughs> and let's say she only needs sex once every three days. But you say, Mimi, if I don't get enough sex, I'm probably going to start withdrawing from you. I'm probably going to start being interested in looking at other women. I'm probably going to fantasize about other women, it, whatever it is, right? And I might, uh, I might get short-tempered because I'm, I got too much sex energy trapped in me and I don't know what to do with it. The point I'm making is, is once you have those shadow vows, without even having to ask what's wrong with him, you say, oh, look, I remember he told mm-hmm. me so you can just say, honey, I'm sorry we haven't been having enough sex lately. I've been really tired. I'm working on this, whatever it is. But how about if we make a plan to have lots of sex this weekend? And then all of a sudden he feels seen, heard, and connected to. And he says, oh, wow. Now instead of looking at other women, he's fantasizing about, holy shit, we're going to have a sex fest this weekend. <laughs> what do I want to bring to the party? You know, a little pot, maybe a couple of new vibrators or whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever's up your, you know, your sleeve for making it really cool and interesting. That is really important because if, if someone's behaving in ways that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. And you, you think they're a jerk. Well, you think they're, yeah, and you start judging them and, yeah. and then it becomes a battle. But that this is, you know, I, I've studied a lot on relationships because, as I said, it's so much a part of people's illnesses and I- injuries and pain, right? But when I realized how big of a mistake we made by burying the shadow and trying to hide it, like most of the time when we're in the beginning of a relationship, even well into a marriage, we don't want people to know how angry we can get or how yeah. nasty we can get. We We ourselves don't want to know that. When you're really honest with somebody about what's going to happen, then they get to see who they're actually marrying. And, 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 and then you don't go into it like a child expecting cotton candy all the time. You yeah. say, okay, now I know what the symptoms are, and I know when to ask the right questions, and how do we move back into harmony, and how can I share what's really going on with me, right? And most people don't just lose their sex drive for no reason. There's always a reason. And it could be sex. It could be money. Money's a big, big problem. We'll get to that. And, and those are a lot of the reasons why third parties show up in relationships. 
there's a need that's not getting met, yeah. and then ultimately the partner then goes and finds it on the outside. Yeah. So yeah. what happens is, you know, you you know maybe you have um, you have a female cheating on, on her husband, and when you they, you know eventually it all comes crashing down. And they go into relationship, and the therapist says to them, you know, why why were you doing that? Oh well. He really listened to me. He really paid attention to yeah. this. We had fun together. And it's usually the exact medicine that paradoxically is missing in the yeah. relationship exactly for, sure. for the relationship yeah. to work. And they're finding totally. it outside. That's you exactly don't just it. wake up one day and think, I think I'll be unfaithful to my husband today. It's an accumulation yeah. of a deterioration of, of you know, the nutrients of the relationship. Yeah. It's not just like a snap of a finger. It's it's over time, bit by bit by bit. Something I learned actually interestingly enough from Gary Greenfield, Ben Greenfield's dad, is that relationships have to provide three th- things. We have to feed each other. We have to nourish each other. Nourish each other. We have to protect each other. And, and it really made me meditate when he told me that. I'm like, wow, that's pretty damn profound because it's brutally true. Like, if a husband can't bring home the food or whoever the big breadwinner is, then we're in trouble. If we don't nourish each other, then we're stressing each other. And if we don't protect each other, then we're in trouble too. So if you take that kind of triad of feed, nourish, protect, and look at relationships, you can almost easily see that there's some one of those now food isn't just food it's like soul food right it's the you know mental stimulation emotional stimulation physical connection and nurture isn't always just sexual either nurture can be understanding it can be listening it can be um uh making room for that person to um you know, process in a way that's good for them instead of constantly having to pester them. It can be a lot and protect. So if you look at that triangle of feed, nourish, and uh, nurture and protect and say, why do people break apart in relationships? It's pretty easy because once I learn that and I look back, okay, all the people I've counseled and coached in my career, how many of it had something to do with food, feeding the soul and the being? nourishing the being and protecting and it's hard not to find a relationship that doesn't hinge on one or all three Mm -hmm. of those things what's interesting too is that's the native american definition of success is it it's not accomplishment it's not achievement it's how many people are you taking care of yeah how many people are you nourishing how many people are you Mm. feeding how many people are you protecting what an idea you know it's 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 Ramdas going to India and sitting in front of his guru and with all these big ideas and he's saying, "What do I do? How how can I have an impact?" And he's saying, "Feed people." Yeah, you know, it, it really it comes down to that. That's yeah. that's to to the Eastern mind or to the native mind that's much more tapped in. The level of a highly successful person is one who feeds, nourishes, and protects. Hi, everybody. I know that you're all aware of the importance of vitamin C. There is a mountain of research on it, but not all C is created equally. I love Paleo Valley's Essential C Complex because it is the real deal, bioavailable. And I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, founder of Paleo Valley, why their Essential C Complex is so unique and something you definitely want for your family and your children. Autumn, tell us about your Essential C Complex. 
Well, I was shocked to learn as a holistic nutritionist that 90%, over 90% of the vitamin C on the market is derived from genetically modified corn, and then it's processed with highly volatile acids. And so I knew I had to find a better way to get all of the powerful benefits of vitamin C. So what I did was I dove into the research and I found the three most vitamin C-rich superfoods on the planet. That's unripe acerola cherry and camu camu and omla berry. And then I just packed them into capsules. And the benefits are amazing because you're not only getting vitamin C, but all of the other wonderful benefits that come from these amazing superfoods. So to get access to this complex, all you have to do is go to paleovalley.com and you can use the code CHECK15 at checkout. That's lowercase C-H-E-K 15 and you can save 15% off. I think I'd like to kind of close it up on a couple of key points. And one of the things I would like to really look at Uh, efficiently here is the common challenges to abundance in relationships. So I will state what these things are in my observation, and I'll let you guys comment when I get through the list as to anything that you want to add. So one, lack of a clear dream goal or objective. And in my relationship coaching with people, which is a lot, I always work with the I, we all model. I say, okay, first you have to identify what is your dream goal or objective for yourself. That could be your personal, professional, or spiritual dream goal objectives. You should cover all of them because they can be very different, right? Your personal objective might be to do shadow work and the other ones might be to do communication work. But your we objective could be doing what's best for the kids and making enough money together. And your all objective could be How do we invest our money in ways that enriches the world yet still makes us money? In other words, are we going to invest in green energy or drugs? Um, You know, these are value statements, right? So have a clearly stated dream, goal, or objective for yourself. Then meet with your partner and say, can I meet this without obstructing your ability to meet your personal dream, goal, or objective? And then are we objectives... How do they match up? Are we in harmony with what we are doing together and what we represent together? And how does that, what message is that sending to the world? What are we inspiring in others? And if we have kids, what are we teaching them? So how they're going to navigate themselves, their relationships in the world. And wherever there's a conflict, then you have to sit with each other and say, how can we find a healthy compromise? And then you got to go back to your must have, must not have list. Because whenever it comes to a compromise, if it trespasses your must-not-have or your must-have can't be met, then you have identified a, uh, shall we say, a short circuit in the relationship, and that's going to potentially start a fire. I've been doing this work for almost 40 years. I've never met a single couple that's ever been taught to do this or done it. It's, it's, It's crazy. Like, this is just, like, critical. The next is... Becoming aware, there's a lot of books, as you know, on love models out there. You know, we have very different ways of loving. Um, I could give a lot of examples, but I think everybody knows that we we feel loved in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, a lot of people love by giving gifts. But if I get gifts, but I'm not getting the support that I need, the gift almost feels like I'm being leveraged to compensate for them not giving me the support that I need in the relationship. So, you know, 
how do you express love? So one of the things when I went through relationship counseling with my first wife, they asked us to identify what makes you feel loved. And then you answered the question, I am loving you when I. What makes you feel loved so I know how to love you? And I am loving you. So I am loving you when I bring home enough money to feed the family. And she says, I'm loving you when I'm taking care of our kids or whatever it is. Because if you don't know when it is that you're being loved, you can actually only think you're being loved when that person's giving you gifts or when they're doing whatever it is that you think is love, but not realizing that person's just loving you wholeheartedly, but that's just their way of expressing love, right? So I'm loving you when I, and I feel loved by you when. Critical questions to get Mm -hmm. addressed, right? Next is poor poor communication skills. We don't have good systems for communication. So the book I always recommend is Nonviolent Communication, The Basics as I Know and Use Them by Wayland Myers, PhD. Phenomenal little pocket book on the essentials of nonviolent communication. It can save relationships of every type, personal, professional, spiritual, business, whatever you want to call it. Communication is critical to all those and even our relationship with ourselves. A lack of awareness, like just having a lack of awareness of what's happening. What, you know, are you not aware that your partner is showing signs of stress and fatigue? Are you not aware of the fact that you're running low on money, but you're spending money like you have lots of money? You know, a lack of awareness in a relationship can lead to some real shockers of a problem. Okay. So cultivating awareness on what's important to you. And, and the way you do that is you say, what are our weak spots together? And one of the most common weak spots I run into is money management. Money is the, kin- the, the kindling that lights the fire that burns down a lot of relationships. So look at where you're needing awareness, which usually by about the second year of a relationship, you start seeing the patterns of, wow, neither of us is very good at managing money. So we're $30,000 in credit card debt right now. And we're buying a bunch of shit that we can't afford because we watch too much television and believe it, okay? (laughs) Then we talked about the shadow, being clear on what your shadow expressions are and looking into that. And the fastest way to find out where your shadow is is just listen to your judgments of yourself and others. Write them all down and say, oh, look, there's my shadow. Everything that you say to yourself but you don't say to someone else, everything you say you wish you could do but you're afraid to do because you don't want to punch somebody in the face, then you start becoming aware of your shadow. Remember, the devil you know is always better than the devil you don't know. So if you don't know where your shadow is at, it can control you like a puppet and it can ruin relationships and cause you to lose jobs and not get promoted and all sorts of things. But you never find out until you go ask people, why did you fire me? Why did you divorce me? And that's one way to find out where your shadow's at. Um, poorly defined boundaries, right? Most people don't really have a clear sense of boundaries. You know, like I can give you a quick example. I used to let my students have access to my library, but it wasn't long before some of my most expensive, highly cherished books went missing. And I know where everything's at. Jason can assure you that I know where everything's at. I'm, they're part of my body, these things, right? So, When people started stealing books, the first one, I thought, okay, maybe I just misplaced it. The second one, I said, okay, I smell a rat. The third one, that's it. I've just lost about $6,000 worth of exotic books that are very rare, and I was really pissed off because they're irreplaceable, most of them. 
And so I, I said, library's off limits to students. And they all whined and cried. And I said, well, you can thank yourself for that one because I opened my, you know, probably million dollar library to you and you abused the privilege. So sorry, that's the end of that one. But with that, I'm talking about boundaries, right? And sometimes we have to have our boundaries trespassed before we learn how to clearly define them. Expectations. If you have expectations in a relationship, they need to be clearly stated. That's what our shadow vows tell you. If I don't get enough sex, this is what's going to happen. I'm sorry, but that's just the truth of me. I'll work on it. But the problem is if I work on my, my shadow reactions and you don't work on your commitment to me, then we still have a lopsided relationship and it's not going to roll well, right? Um, the child archetype and lack of individuation are willing to individuate, meaning if you are still expecting someone else to make you happy, feed you, and cover your, your, your financial contribution, then you're in the child archetype. And I can tell you one way to make a marriage real short, marry a child when you're an adult or um, be a child and marry an adult. And when they find out that they've got another child to take care of all the time and they're having sex with a child, it puts some skunk stink into the relationship. And then a lack of effective, wise examples to follow or gain counseling or coaching from. It's very important that we have healthy role models. For example, Tom and Joy Campanero, the owners of Total Gym, have been friends of mine since 1988. They're older than me. Tom's probably 76 or 7 now, my mother's age. Um, He's a very, very, both of them are very successful and very skilled and they've got a lot of business and experience. They've been through a lot of challenges. They've raised kids. They've seen a lot. So I've never been able to get good advice from my parents because they were never good role models, unfortunately. So when I was in trouble, I would call Tom and ask him if I could get a little help from him. And Penny and I have gone to them with business challenges. And I've always gotten very sage advice because I identified and looked for somebody that I could trust to give me good advice that proved to me through their life, never judge a man or a woman by the creed they profess, but by the life they lead. That's the rule. There's a lot of talking heads. You were guys were just saying about all the pseudo-gurus on, and shaman on the internet and what a, social media and whatever. But it's up to us to find people that exemplify what it is that we want to become and treat them well. Remember, angels have barriers and borders and definition. The point is you never abuse an angel. So for me, I don't ever abuse my relationship with Tom Campanero, no matter what, because that man and his wife have been a valuable resource for me to learn and grow and become a more successful, more abundant human being. Okay? So as I sat down to think about relationships for this podcast, I thought, you know, what are the most important things I've learned in my 62 years of relationships at every level? And those are some key ones. So feel free to add if you guys have anything to add to that. Sure, I can go. Um, I mean, you, you really uh, you really nailed it pretty, pretty good there. But some of the things that have been helpful for me and just kind of riffing off of what you said, the first one is what's your relationship myth? Yes. Why are you? That's in, the dream. 
yeah, why are you in this? And so for, for me, one of the ways that I've learned is that it can be very helpful to look at the way that you met and the way you came together as if it was a dream. Mm-hmm. For example, when you and Penny met, it was the dream of the Czech Institute. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the Czech Institute has really been that glue or that grease that has, has kept your yeah. relationship healthy. Yeah. When, when you guys met for part two, you met at a, at a wellness conference. Mm-hmm. And here you are having a beautiful relationship around wellness wellness, and a podcast around wellness. And, and really, that's been the dream that keeps you together. You know, the same thing for me. When I, when I met Kara... Our first date was at a uh, a wolf sanctuary, and we learned a lot about how wolves relationships <laughs> work together in a pack. Yeah, and, and and our you know the biggest complaint that I receive from Kara is often that you know I'm not thinking as much about the pack, and I'm thinking more about you know my career, let's just say, and really nourishing everybody and making and recognizing that everyone in the family is important. The same way you can look at your earliest childhood memories of relationships. My earliest childhood memory of being in any kind of relationship was my dad was holding me on his shoulders and it was holding my brother in his arms and he accidentally dropped my brother. And so for me, I've had to recognize where, do, where am I putting myself up on a pedestal but maybe dropping another person in relationship and being really mindful of that and then also recognizing I need to pick up and lift up other people. Yes. So looking back at the, the, the dreamlike way in which relationships come together, looking at the symbols, looking at the signs, and looking at what was this whole thing about can really be a helpful way to stay in the dreamline. The, the, the next one is looking at the moods. The, the moods of when things are happening good and when what and what are the moods or the low moods when things don't work and really being aware of them. And that gets into this a whole idea of roles. We talked a lot about today how, you know, one partner may have a particular role like, you know, I want I, I like to have sex every day or I always initiate sex. And then there's a partner that um, likes to have it once a year. And then <laughs> oh, there's, yeah, there's a, there's, there's usually a parent that is dealing with the money and there's usually a parent that's dealing with the household and there's a parent who's a disciplinarian and yeah. there's a fun parent. And we get into these, these like roles and these ideas of who we are, these belief systems in relationships and really recognizing them and stepping into some fluidity. And also I think becoming aware not to be fixated in your role like if you know i'm the disciplinarian only when the shit's hitting the fan with the kids like if the girls are at their wits end the they say to the kids i'm gonna go get daddy and they they know yeah (laughs) it means get it together but sometimes it's important to exchange roles so you don't get too fixated in that's exactly my point The, the, the key is to have fluidity and what i recognize is if i'm getting upset that, you know, why is Kara always being this disciplinarian? Why is she being tough? The moment I step into that role, I automatically see, you know, it's like you're playing tug of war and you're holding the tension of the opposites. I automatically see her move into a more fun role and relax at polarity. So, you know, if you're always the one who initiates sex, let your partner initiate. If you're always the one who, who makes the decisions around the money, let your partner make decisions around money and really kind of step into that and move. It is important as well to recognize that while we need to have fluidity in roles, we do have different skill sets and creating like department heads. Like at the end of the day, if there's an educational decision to be made about the Czech Institute, yeah. you might 
ask Penny or, or Angie, but you're going to be the one who makes the decision. If there's something that m- might be said about an educational decision for the kids, it might be Angie's department. Yeah. And so, you know, recognizing what the strengths and the weaknesses are, but also having fluidity in them. Another key one in relationships is, is conflict work. Yeah. One of the biggest challenges we have in, in conflict is not being able to step into the other partner's shoes. Yes. Not being able to see from their perspective, not being able to see how are we somewhat like them, and how do we maybe even in some way need their energy in our life because that's maybe the reason why we're attracting them in, into into relationship. You also touched on communication styles. I do, but before yeah. you go, I want to talk, say on conflict. It's a it's a sort of a pathological belief that has made it into our culture that there shouldn't be conflict in relationships, mm-hmm. but there's no such thing as growth in a relationship without conflict. Um, I mean, that's a pie in the sky. That's almost like a, it's, it's a childish dream is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Um, but what, one of the things that's important that I've learned is it's not the conflict. It's whether or not you can respect the other person enough to stay connected at the heart. Mm-hmm. And when you can't stay connected at the heart, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, if, if you're playing tennis with your spouse, you want them to play their best. Otherwise, it's not even a game. You, you know, what do you, why, might as well just go for a walk, you know? So you want to, you want to really engage the conflict, the sport, right? So what I've found is if you, if you get to the point where the conflict is actually causing um, derogatory comments or, um, diminishing your partner or using expletives to kind of downplay their value of their opinion, now you're damaging the relationship. And I, I, I always tell people, look, if you get to that point, call a timeout. That's what coaches call timeouts for. You're getting your ass kicked. Mm-hmm. You got to regroup. So you call a timeout and you say, look, I'm having a hard time staying connected at the heart. I love you. This is important to me, but let's come back to this when we both can, you know, really look at this with open eyes and stay connected at the heart so that we're really genuinely supporting each other in resolving this. And then be brave enough to take a time out. And, and that's where healthy detachment comes from. So you gotta, you know, you gotta, you gotta put it on the shelf until everybody's level headed again. And so I, I, I think that the the summary of what I'm saying is if you want to have a healthy relationship, you need to have room in the relationship for conflict and that doesn't mean you have to wrestle and fight and you know whatever. It just means that you have to have room for someone to have a different opinion you and even room for them to get pissed off. And so we each need to be aware of when we're uh, crossing the threshold and that's when the timeout has to come. So I think it's really about working together, right? You Conflict can create deeper intimacy. Mm-hmm. That's the point. Yes, I mean, it you know, it's it's you know, some people and it's interesting because it, sometimes in conflict we have different edges. Yeah. Well, my, you know, my edge may be standing up from my point of view, mm. and my partner's edge may be seeing from my shoes. Right. And so we all have the ability to learn, and, and some of us has have edges to not being in conflict. Mm. Right. There has to be yeah. this cycle of rest and and repair and harmony, mm-hmm. and then standing up for what we really believe in, yeah. and then recognizing that we only, no matter how right we may be, even if we're we're dealing with with something that it might be really wrong on the other side, yeah. we only have some portion of the truth, and that that voice matters, yes. and that that opinion matters, and we can learn something 
from it. And in, through that understanding, through engaging in conflict with a, in a healthy way, we can learn more about ourselves and we can create more intimacy ultimately. Yeah. You know, so that it, it is really a key point. You mentioned on communication style, and I think it's really important to recognize that we all come from different heritages, right? Mm -hmm. So in, in my family, it may be normal to everybody jump in at the dinner table, speak over each other. <laughs> and then in another family, it yeah. might be that you you can't say a word until the person's done for at least 10 seconds, right? Oh, yeah. right? And so oftentimes partners are attracting each other that have completely different communication styles. And one of the most effective ways that I've learned is by not paying attention to what somebody's saying, but by paying attention to their signals and their double signals. The body language yeah. is really telling the score of, of the yes. deeper message. And we've talked about that before. Yeah. Just like in our, in, our, in our own life, we have this primary personality of what we identify with, like how we would introduce ourselves at a party. You know, I'm Paul Check. I'm, I'm you know, a podcaster. I'm a father. I'm a this or that. There's this whole secondary nature of things that we don't normally identify with that, yeah. are, that we're kind of evolving into. I think it's really interesting to think in a relationship. So what is the identity of our relationship? Who are we? You know, what do we identify? What groups do we identify with? How would we introduce ourselves? And where can we grow as a couple? What is what 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 if we were dreaming at night together? What what are we stepping into as an, an unknown secondary part of ourselves? Yeah. I mean, that takes more awareness for sure, because you have to look behind the surface of yourself and the other. Yeah. And, and look for the subplot, so to speak, you know. Like, you know, a good movie makes you think you know what's going mm -hmm. on. Right. But you realize you didn't know what was going on at the end when the twist comes and you mm -hmm. go, oh my God. So the, but the, the thing is, is you can't find the subplots if you're not present. Like you have to really be present. And as I say to people, look, if you're 10% not there, that's 10% of you that's not in the relationship and that's 10% I can't access. That creates a 20% deficit in the relationship. Now, to put that in perspective, if you're flying from L.A. to New York and your pilot's 20% off, <laughs> you have to ask yourself, where are you going to land? Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's a long ways off. So oftentimes we don't realize that small errors of not being present can create huge errors in destination. And that's the dream goal or objective, right? If we don't have our compass tuned to the same dream goals or objective and we're not present... We can find ourselves never arriving. For example, people say, we're going to buy a house. We're going to buy, you've been saying that for 15 years. Why is it not happening? Oh, well, he wanted a new car. Well, yeah, but that, that's a departure from the house. So you see, if we're not really present with each other and where our kind of shadow tendencies are with the use of money or the use of our energy or whatever, you, you run into these kinds of problems. So the point I'm making to affirm your point is, the subplot requires being present in the relationship mm -hmm. or you're never going to get it. And the surprise at the end might be a deal breaker. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? One of the big things I think is recognizing our own rank in relationships. Yeah. Because oftentimes, you know, for example, we can be, uh, you know, one of us could have more money than the other person when we're coming into to the relationship. So we have a various economic rank. Yeah. One of us may be a man or a woman and societally that that holds more rank. One of us may be of a different skin color yeah. or a different religion or you know uh and and that could hold a different rank. We all have different 
psychological rank. I may be a corporate CEO and have a lot of rank at work, and I come home and I just get run over by my my family when yeah. I have very low rank, or I I have very I have very high economic rank and very low spiritual rank. Yeah, or I have a, you know a particular um, low maybe a particularly low psychological rank where I go into relationship counseling, I can't even express myself. Yes. So I think recognizing that there's various different types of rank and power, recognizing that having rank in a relationship is a responsibility and a privilege, and to use your own power to raise up your partner to, to get more in an e- even keel yes. playing field, yeah. but at the same time recognize that you yourself have to recognize where your rank is low and do what you can to raise yourself up mm-hmm. as well. And that's really important with, particularly with things like um, making enough money. You know, there's a lot of money. People are under a lot of money stress today, right? So if you get one partner in the relationship that's not contributing or is not managing their tendencies to addictions like alcohol, which leads to them making excuses about I'm too tired or I can't do this or I can't, it can really overload the person that's carrying um, the responsibility or the rank of of doing more than they should be doing because of the imbalance in the relationship. So and it's important to it's you know t- to have moments of renegotiation. Yeah. Kara and I have to do this all the time. I mean we we had to learn to say okay, you know, I don't want to have to cook 7 nights a week. Yeah. I don't want to have to be the one who's is the full responsibility of 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 paying the bills or, or doing the kids or anything. I'm just saying, you know, it goes both ways. Yeah. So, you know, as relationships evolve and change, having moments of renegotiating the agreements is, is okay and, and yeah. important. Yeah. And that's where you, you have to be clear on what your dream goals and objectives are and, and where you must have, must not have. And, and you're, you see, if you make a compromise, but you're not really willing to compromise, then what you do is just do lip service. So you end up having these renegotiations that ultimately just produce the same pattern of behavior, which usually triggers more shadow reactions, which ultimately, you know, if you're lucky, it leads you to marriage counseling, and then they take you through the same shit again. <laughs> and you say, oh, we already did that. And the counselor looks like, did you really? <laughs> yeah. I've heard that a thousand times myself as a therapist. Hi, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the show. I thought I'd take a minute to sing you a little song. Dr. Quiet, she is yin. Know how she loves to bring energy in. She teaches you how to rest so your energy is always at its best. Hey! And I want to tell you a little secret. You know how I support Dr. Quiet? I use Organifi Gold, and it does some magic to help you sleep deeper and restore better so you can get up and be a freedom fighter first thing in the morning and all through the day. And I got Drew Canoli, who created the product right here, right now, to tell us why it works so well. Drew, what's so unique about Organifi Gold except the fact that my kids won't stop asking for it? I love this song. Thank you. And I think if we were DJing this, we would do Rishi. Because Rishi, full spectrum, eight to one, beta glucans, knock you out. The queen of mushroom. Rishi is one of the most powerful things we can put in our body, especially at night. Helps restore, revitalize. Great for the liver. So while we sleep, not only are we restoring and repairing the cells, but we're detoxing in the most effective way possible. Yes. And it doesn't have to taste bad. In fact, it could be something you crave. Yeah. And that's Organifi Gold. It tastes like Autumn had a baby with a marshmallow. Every time I have it, it just knocks me out. I've literally tracked it with my Whoop, my Aura Ring, yeah. and it adds another hour to an hour and a half of deep sleep. 
That's great. Ramen deep every single night. You know what's also really cool? Rishi is a wise man. Mm. It's not only the name of a mushroom, but a Rishi is a wise man. Oh, true story. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's absolutely true. I'm not so, pulling your leg. And how much wisdom have you and I gained from night school? A Dream lot time. of wisdom. Yep. Yes. And you gain a lot when you can't sleep. You go, what am I doing wrong? And how do I get it fixed up? <laughs> so, hey, you know, one time when I was visiting you at your house, you made me a gold, Organifi Gold as a hot tea. And I'd never realized you could make it hot. It's the best way. And I was like blown away. I'm like, wow, this is incredibly good. It tastes like dessert. Mm -hmm. But it, unlike most sweet things, if you take sweet stuff at night, you can't sleep very well and it jacks you up. But this stuff was just so relaxing and so amazing. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I know you're allergic to coconut. Yeah. Right? So, but what I like to do, and this is when I'm being bad. You see, there's a much bigger cannoli than the cannoli you see today. Exactly. I, I would eat ice cream and all kinds of comfort food because I'm from Michigan. Uh -huh. But one thing that put my cravings in check, I take a little cocoa whip. Yeah. I put it on top of this oh, golden nice. tea. Okay. It is the best drink yeah. at night you could ever have. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm intolerant. I'm not allergic. So I did That's try it, it. It just makes me feel stressed. But I found that, you know, if I don't overdo it, I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to have everybody try Organifi Gold because we all need to sleep deep and pay attention to what our soul tells us while we dream so we can work together to mm. make this world a beautiful place for everybody and get our freedom back and get rid of the toxins in the government and other things we need to do. And now, for a limited time, Organifi Gold Pumpkin Spice is back. All the goodness of regular Organifi Gold with the flavors of fall, pumpkin, cinnamon, nutmeg, and allspice. Go to Organifi.com forward slash check 20 and use the code check 20 to get 20% off your order of Organifi Gold Pumpkin Spice. That's Organifi.com forward slash check 20 and the code is CHEK20 to get 20% off your order. Sleep well. So yeah, these are all important points. Is is that the ones you wanted to give? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the only other thing I was going to say was this this thing about in relationships. One of the things that I've been working on re recently is, and I found this to be really important for business too, is the concept of separation and return. And mm -hmm. you know, I was on a trip with with uh, our buddy Dr. Nathan Riley, who you guys know really well. And I said to him, "I'm sitting him that we're on a hunting trip, and I'm sitting with him in the woods." And I turned to Nathan and I say, "Let me ask you a question." Do you love your family more when you're away from them or when you're with them? Mm. And it really twisted them because we all recognize that when we are away, we realize how much we actually miss and love our yeah. families. And then we're, when we're there with them, sometimes we take it for, for you granted. Get, you get caught in your routine. You get caught in the routine. You're going to work. You're doing your thing. I don't have time for that. And then you get away like I am now. And I'm like, oh my God, I really want to be with my kids. And I recognize that that's actually the key to being to really creating genius type abundance at work as mm. well. Because when you're working and you're working, and you're working all day long without having that time for the rest and the play to pull back and separate yourself from it, you don't give yourself the, the that ability for that new novel idea to come in. Yeah. So really having that flow of separation and return in your work and in your work and your work relationships and in your personal life, I think is a really key success to um, keeping the love go. That's where the saying absence makes the heart go stronger yeah, comes from. I think you know? it does. And I think sometimes, I mean, I wouldn't say you need to just take a trip away to learn how to be <laughs> miss your family. I think really 
realizing what you feel when you're away and how important that is. Because I'll tell you a great example of that same phenomenon. People do a shamanic journey and they go, oh my God, I'm going to say sorry to this person. I'm, I'm going to forgive myself for this. I'm going to forgive my dad for that and all that. And then it never happens. <laughs> and then you get people going, oh, I got to do another journey. got to do another journey. I'm like, I see people that have done 25 journeys, but they still haven't done the work of the first journey, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, we have to have some level. This is the difference between an adult and a child. You have to have some um, discipline and some um, commitment to love because love is responsibility. There is responsibility in love. There's work. You know, real love comes with labor. It's, it's, it, there's labor involved in feeding. There's the labor of love that's involved in nourishing, and there's the labor of protecting and I think that um, a lot of people get into relationships as a conscious or unconscious means of avoiding the work of love, which is never a good formula uh, <laughs> for a relationship. Um, anything from you guys, Dad? Yeah, just a, I mean, just a couple things that come up and, and in the realm of conflict and communication. Uh, the relationships that were modeled to me and, and surely us, there was scorekeeping going on. Mm. And... A, an internal scoreboard of I've done enough good things. I earned myself the following. And so I think oftentimes men keep this tracker of the things that they're contributing in the dynamic of the relationship or in the family such that they've allotted themselves this, this permission slip to maybe it's take off or crush beers with the guys playing fantasy football, but they're unaware or make, they make assumptions that their significant other is keeping the same scoreboard in their own mind. So first I would say, be aware of whether or not you are keeping score in your own mind. And then, and next step would be, what if you remove the scoreboard altogether? The relationship is not a game to be won or lost. And if you are score keeping, you're, you're likely already playing a game that you have lost. And I think couples, a lot of the, the listeners that we get are bringing their stat sheet of what he has done or what she has done into the conflict because they've been keeping track and they've lost before they've even engaged. And the second thing I would say to that is when conflict arises, because it will, we waste so much time and effort in relationships talking about things that don't actually matter. So let's say the example is she is consistently looking at her social media when I'm talking and I'm feeling triggered by that. Instead of the conversation being around, because it could be, everybody's got social media. I got to check emails. I'm, you know, my family's reaching out to me. Making a commitment prior to engaging in, in conflict that we are committed to talking about the thing behind the thing. So it's actually not the, the, the phone and the social media. It's that in this moment, I don't feel respected. I don't feel like I'm worthy of your attention. And you can bypass a lot of the bullshit, which everybody's been in those arguments where you go on rabbit trails pertaining to seemingly unimportant things. If you can skip and get to the, to the real value behind it, which is, hey, respect is a critical component to me feeling enrolled in this relationship. And if it's absent because of distraction or something else that might seem more important to you than me, it's going to be a challenge. And so oftentimes we're, we're, continue continually reminding people to get to the thing behind the thing if you're going to step into a charged conversation because you'll save yourself 
a lot of excess breath on things that actually don't really matter and conflict conversation that won't contribute to something productive once you're through it on the other side. So those are a couple of things that that came up for me. On the end note of that is you're bringing your partner, you're inviting your partner, you're allowing your partner to join in and to experience what you're experiencing. And that's true empathy, right? Is you're like, hey, it's not about the phone. It's about this. This is what I'm feeling. I'm bringing you into my experience. And that can't be argued with. You can argue about the superficial details and this and that, and it becomes very superfluous and unimportant and uh, not productive. But if you're bringing them into your experience of of what your uh, what your experience is like, then it's a lot harder to for your partner to to you know come back and one up and this and that. Um, were you done? No, that's that, that's it. I'll keep mine really quick. Um, the first two are uh, in regard to keeping the spark alive, which is what we get asked about a lot. First is play. Don't stop playing. Play, flirt, dance, poke tease in a loving way like don't forget how to play together those that play together stay together yes and your your version of play might look different than the next couples or whatever our version might look different than yours and pennies or yours and angie's or you and kara but it's important that you talk about what feels like play or or when when you did have a playful moment like express to your partner how much you loved that how much it lit you up or when you're in a moment of fun or flirt just like being present in the moment and like man that was so great and you connect over that moment and it's locked in your brain. It's like putting a pin in it on a cork board. And so your partner is more likely to remember and and just have awareness that that is important to you. Um, and then the, the second one in regard to keeping the spark alive is just having a basic foundational understanding of the masculine and feminine energies that exist within each of us and which hat you're putting on and then how that dynamic plays out in relationship. If your partner is a dominant masculine and if I'm a dominant feminine like or vice versa or whatever, you need to know how those energies play together so that you can create more polarity, more spark in in the bedroom in life i mean sex can be all day it's not just the act it's how you're interacting with each other moment to moment and then the last thing i will say in regard to conflict is become aware invite yourself into the awareness of when you are telling yourself a story about your partner and how you're taking a situation and making it you're creating narrative you're creating a story that could be 100% false a quick example would be she's feeling really low and sad because all he wants to do is work so she you know says to him like all you're doing is working all you're doing is working and he's like I'm providing for us. Rather, if she comes to him and says, the story that I'm telling myself is that when you're choosing to work, what I'm feeling is I feel sad, I feel lonely, and it feels like you'd rather be at work than with the family. Is, is any, that true? <laughs> is, that's the next line. Is yeah, The story is, is any of that true? Yeah. And then you're giving your partner an opportunity to either confirm like, yeah, actually I'm that is kind of true and here's why and let's work through this. Or it's like, oh my God, no, babe, no. 
I know that we're taking a vacation in three months and I'm picking up some extra shifts because I want us to have a really wonderful time and I'm doing this for us. He's just now rescued her from that story that she's created in her own mind. And so if we bring those stories to our partner with the right wording, which is comes back to communication, none of us are taught this usually by our parents. Um, hopefully we'll be able to teach our kid that, but being in the first the first part of that is being able to understand and recognize when you're telling yourself a story that may or may not be true. Yeah, it's it, it's dangerous to not confirm the uh, truth or falsity of our stories because we almost always unconsciously or consciously manufacture stories to support our own viewpoint, but most of those stories are are created in absence of the other half of the story, right? You know, a simple way to think of that is you cannot spend a half a coin. <laughs> yeah. Right? And interestingly, a symbol, one of the ways of explaining what a symbol is, in one of my symbol books, they give this example. If you take a penny and cut it in half, and I give you half, and I take half, and I say, next time we get together, we're going to create the symbol. Because it's not a symbol if it's cut in half. So when we come together and we put the two halves of the penny together, we say, what's happened since we left each other with this half of the symbol? And so you tell about everything that happened in the process. And so it shows you that the symbol doesn't really have any meaning until you tell what happened, the story about the process of breaking the symbol and reuniting the symbol. So the symbol's always pointing to something other than itself. The story's not about the penny. The story's about what's happening. The penny's just a reminder to say, tell the story, you know? And so those are all great things. And I think, you know, this is a very simple one, but a lot of people really need to hear it. And I must say, I probably need, need needed many years to learn it. And that is, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Right? Yeah. People fight over yeah. underwear left on the floor. Yeah. Ask and, yourself, is this actually important? Yeah, you know. Yeah, simple. It just what is my dream for this relationship and is arguing over the spilt milk actually getting us to our dream or is it really just me expressing my projecting my pain over something else that yeah. I'm not willing to process in myself and yeah. take responsibility for so I have to kick the dog to feel better you know I, lo I love to say one thing that I've learned recently about that because I'm a big believer in don't sweat the small stuff. Um, but what I realized was that what I think is the small stuff Sometimes is not the same thing that my partner yeah. thinks is the small yeah. stuff. That's communication. Right? So to Kara, me leaving the dishes out is not the small stuff. To me, it's not a big deal. And what I recognize is having, having to be very aware of what are the small stuff to her and what are the small stuff to me and being clear on that because what I recognize is that, you know, Kara's a chef and when I understood that her kitchen was the way that she created and it was like her sacred space, I recognized that leaving things out was like somebody coming into my meditation room and, and throwing dirt sure. on the floor. And so to me, I was like, oh, what's the big deal? It's just a few plates. It's just don't sweat the small stuff. Mm -hmm. But it actually wasn't small. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and I think it's important to, to be clear on that. I think, too, that the thing that I'm pointing to is you got to look at it in the context of what the challenge is. Mm-hmm. Like, if you're having a challenge over whether or not you should get your kid vaccinated and someone's bitching you out because you left a plate out, well, then we, we've lost context. Yeah. That's the small stuff. It's true. So you always have to look at what is the context of the issue at hand and what is the... Um, obstruction to getting to the issue, which goes to kind of your subplot. You know, what's behind the the story here? Relationships are complicated. They're dynamic. They require honest work. And if you don't have genuine love for what it is that you're doing, you're probably not going to be inspired to do the work to grow in the relationship and the first person you got to do that with is yourself because one of the things that i see happening is people don't know themselves well enough so they fall in love with people only to realize that they don't really love that person and that usually means you fell in love with your mommy or your daddy archetype and you haven't figured out who you are yet so that means you're still a child psychologically but if you're falling in love in a relationship that requires adult responsibilities that can really get tricky for everybody involved and painful. And the unfortunate part about that too is that so many people leave a relationship without addressing those things mm-hmm. only to find themselves in, in the one. same oh, yeah. exact yep. problem with a different face. And Often I, and multiple I, times. And the same thing happens also in the workplace because mm-hmm. we have a, a, an issue with like a boss or a teammate and we say, oh, this is, you know, I'm going to leave here. But until we, we can actually learn the lessons that we're supposed to learn about being in relationships yeah. professionally or intimately, yeah. we're going to just find a new face and a new name, but the same issue. Yeah. I went through a very challenging relationship Many of my close friends said to me, Paul, why do you stay in relationship with her? And I always remembered Socrates and how he had this tumultuous relationship with his wife and she would hit him in the head with rolling pins and she threw hot grease in his face and all his friends would say, why are you staying married to her? And he would say, because she can still piss me off. So there's something I haven't learned from her yet. And so people would say to me, why do you stay in relationship with this woman? And I said, because she still really knows how to upset me and get under my skin. And I know that she's a beautiful person and I know that she's got a lot of great qualities, but for some reason she still triggers the shit out of me and I need to make sure I figure out what it is Mm. because if I don't figure it out, I'm going to go into a relationship and it's probably going to keep going and I'm going to think, God, another pain in the ass, right? Yeah. And so I committed 11 years to getting to where I really figured it out and said, okay, I really know what's important to me now. And I know what to make sure I identify as values and ethics before I get into another committed relationship. And it helped me get really clear. But if I would have gotten out too soon, one, if I could have healed it, it might have worked, but I couldn't. And I couldn't get my my must-have, must-not-have balance was not there. But the the key thing I'm saying is you, you really need to take responsibility for the fact that if someone keeps triggering you and irritating you in relationships, if you don't identify what the triggers are, then you haven't actually um, healed it. You know, you, you, you still are very susceptible. You're unconscious there. 
And we attract people into, there's the opposites attract. We attract people into relationships specifically so they will push our buttons Mm -hmm. because without that, we won't grow. We just become copies of mother and father. And, you know, that's why they say, why, why is it that mom and dad push your buttons so easily? Because they installed them. Right. Right. And so if someone pushes your buttons really easily, instead of just making it all about them, you've got to say, okay, there's a button there. Whenever this person, you know, leaves shit in the kitchen, it pushes my button. Now, in your case, if Kara said, look, Jason, this is my temple. This is where I do my art. And you're leaving my art studio messy, which makes me feel less creative and less supportive. Now you know what the button is, right? Then you could say, I'm about to leave this out. Is this how I want my wife to feel loved by me? And the answer is no, then you don't push that button. And if you do push it, then you got to say, what is it going on in me that I'm willing to push the buttons of somebody that I love, which is really a form of disrespect. And so... I think we've covered as much as we can cover in one podcast without just completely Whew. frying everybody. <laughs> I, th- I think the summary for me is that, in, you know, in the Vedas, they say that the greatest path to spirituality is not the sannyasin, not the one who leaves the world and goes to the monastery, but the, right. t- the tiagi, the householder. Yeah. I've learned more from relationships than probably any spiritual teacher in my life. Yeah. I've been, no the, the, amount, the amount of burnishing from ex-wife or you know relationships gone wrong and the real challenges of relationships it, they all have all been my greatest spiritual teacher yeah. yeah and you know you can you can explore all sites sorts of psychedelics or all sorts of different teachers but the reality is learning how to walk the dream line in a relationship is probably the ultimate path yeah. to enlightenment it is there is no better path this is why kabir said going and hiding in caves and meditating and doing ascetic practices and starving yourself and all this shit. He said, that is not real spiritual development. That's copping out. He said, if you want to really grow spiritually, get married, have kids and be part of the world. Come to the marketplace. Come to the marketplace. And I, I totally and utterly agree because I've seen all too much of the escape into spiritual elitism and CDs and semen retention and, you know, breathing out your ears and, uh, you know, who, who, you know, this is not a slash on Wim Hof. It's just a metaphor. Who cares if you can hold your breath for 12 minutes underwater or squat a thousand pounds if you can't get along with your wife and kids, Yeah, you know? And so I think there is no path more realistic than the path of love and relationship. Yeah. Uh 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 Oh, great spirit. We are safe. We are home. We We are are whole. Thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed it. Between the group of us here, there's a lot of years of relationship wisdom and some hard knocks (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) and some great lessons. And uh, thank you to my amazing sponsors for all your awesome products, which I use myself always. And I don't offer you anything that I don't truly love and use. And thank you to my sponsors for making excellent products. Every time you buy anything from my sponsors, that money goes to the hands of responsible, loving people that care for this planet and care for you and supports the podcast. So thank you. And thank you all for joining us on the path of doing our best to make the world a little better place each day by making ourselves a little more aware, a little more true, and a little more loving and uh, look forward to sharing more with you next time. Thank you, Mimi. Thank you, Chase. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. And um, 
my last question is, how has it been being in the Abundance Archetype program with Jason? It's been abundant. <laughs> it's been uh, absolute synchronicity with what is uh, currently opening itself to our life and um, mm-hmm. couldn't have come at a better time with a better leader. So absolute gratitude. Awesome. And uh, just before we finally go, because I forgot for my fault for being a, a tired host that's hungry, um, where can people find out more about you, your podcast, etc.? Yeah. So our website is themedicine.com. Medicine is spelled without an E on the end, different type of medicine that we're talking about. So themedicine.com. And then um, I hang out on Instagram a lot, do a lot of education there. And my handle is Mimi underscore the medicine. And our podcast is the medicine podcast. Both these lovely humans, Jason and Paul have been on. Um, and it's, it's just a blast. Um, yeah, you can share yours. Yeah, I'm on I'm on Instagram as well. Uh the underscore chasen underscore one and uh super open to conversation and feedback. So what was us. that? The underscore the underscore chasen underscore Ch- one. C H A S I N. E N Or just search Chase Ramey. Yeah, Chase Ramey works oh, as well. Okay, good. Jason, uh when's your next enrollment for the abundance archetype and how do people uh get whatever you'd like to share? Yeah, thank you so much. Well the next enrollment I it's sort of ongoing, but the next cohort is going to be in February. Okay, and I've had the pleasure of working with Chase. He's just so amazing to have such a beautiful person in my in my group. Great. Um, we had an amazing call today with the students with you as well. So they're all yeah, it was fun. Totally fired up. We've got into spirit gym. Yeah, but basically, you can just go to my website, Jason Picard Official, and there you can learn more about the course Abundance Archetype, which is. You know, an eight-week intensive course about developing more abundance in all areas of your life, Mm -hmm. from everything I learned on Wall Street to everything about relationships and self-mastery. And the real transformational process that I think Chase can can speak to, but is that we've created a group, an amazing group of people that come together to really seek abundance. We have twice a week calls that bring in guest speakers like yourself and mm. amazing people in all fields and you know, including things that I bring to the table and we get together and we have a really transformational experience. So you can go to Jason Picard Official and book a discovery call with me for free and, and get to know more about me and my story and we can see if we're a good fit for each other. Good. And tell them you came from the Living 4D yes. podcast. And you get a $500 off the course. That's a pretty damn good deal. <laughs> Just because you listen to this podcast, you get $500 off. That makes us a very valuable podcast. <laughs> Is, if you listen to the end of this, yeah. you deserve yeah. the $500. That's, 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 yeah. that's your bonus. <laughs> right. And uh, lots of love to all of you. Thank you for helping to make the world a better place each day. I'm sending you all my love. We I'm love sure you very we much. We all are. Yeah. And uh, thank you to all of you guys. Thank you, Paul. Thank uh-huh. you, Paul. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guests, Jason Picard, Chase Ramey, and Mimi Lindquist. You can connect with Jason via his website, jasonpicard.org, or on Instagram at jasonpicardofficial. Jason is offering Paul's listeners $500 off his new course, The Abundance Archetype Method. When you register, just mention Paul Check in the answer to the question, how did you hear about The Abundance Archetype to get that $500 discount? You can find Chase and Mimi on their website at themedicine.com. That's the 
M-E-D-I-C-I-N.com, on Instagram at The Medicine Podcast, or on your favorite podcast channel. Catch up with Paul on Instagram, TikTok, and threads at Paul.check, on Twitter at PaulCheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living 4D with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our premier sponsors by Optimizers, Organifi and Paleo Valley. Our podcast sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures and our preferred product sponsor, Peak Life. Please show your appreciation by taking advantage of their special discounts for listeners. The links and details are in the show notes. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. 